Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, well, welcome everybody to the first ever, I think this is the first ever Wrestling Inc. watch-along that we've ever done. Yeah, yeah, it's something new we're trying. We thought uh, in this era of empty arena wrestling, it might be a, a, a fun idea to to watch some arena wrestling from the past, from the glory days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, what we're going to watch tonight is we're going to watch Saturday Night's main event. And this show is from January 3rd, 1987. So if you're on the, on the WWE Network right now and you're looking for the show, it's the first show from 1987, January 3rd, 1987. Uh, the show was actually taped in December of 1986, a few weeks before the show actually aired. But basically what we're doing is we're plunging into the deep end of the Hulkamania era. We're plunging into the buildup to WrestleMania 3. This is where I think basically peak WWE of that era would begin to kind of take off. Um, I'm joined here, of course, by Raj Jerry, the president, head honcho, uh, owner of Wrestling Inc. And of course, joining us is Justin Barrasso of Sports Illustrated. How's it going, guys? Good, man. How are you? Great. Great. So, um, yeah, we're going to see wrestling. Back into the roots of WrestleMania, uh, Hulkamania. Early, even that early promo uh, Hogan does in the show, you can see he's like, he's got Hulkamania. He knows what it is, but he hasn't quite harnessed it yet. So it's interesting to see, you know, where it is and where it goes. Thank you for having me, guys. This is classic WWE. This is like when you think of this era, this is the kind of stuff you think of. It's going to be it's Hogan, it's Savage, it's the other cast of characters that are on board. Some of them uh, have aged really well. I think some of them have aged not as well, but it's a very interesting show. Yeah, we got an interesting question here from the Heenan family in the chat asking Heenan and Monsoon or McMahon and Ventura? I it's like McMahon and Ventura. I'm, I'm guessing he means on the, that person means in the broadcast. Yeah, commentating duo. Jesse, it's Jesse and Vince, and they are both at their peak. Like Vince, I think calls it twenty thousand people. Harvard <laughs> says twenty thousand on, on on any day. And Jesse is there's nobody. I love Bobby Heenan, maybe a little more my era, but man, was Jesse just like biting? He was raw. He was. There's been nobody like Jesse. At least, like you can't picture. Yeah. And doing now what he did then yeah i mean i'm the same way i feel like uh vince and jesse is the number one of all time but number two for me is bobby and gorilla and then yeah. gorilla and jesse and then jr and uh and lawler they're just they bring so much life to a show like if the commentary today if it was vince and jesse and they were prime uh on these empty arena shows i think they'd be so watchable they'd be easy they'd be a breeze i think that was bully ray from um, or Bubba from uh, Busted Open, who said like they should have Vince yeah. and Austin do the commentary. He's he's not wrong. I mean, if you had somebody, and that's not a knock on Michael Cole, you could keep Cole there. Right. But like, if you brought in big stars, it would make these shows a little more watchable. Absolutely. And uh, 
I don't know about Vince anymore after seeing him on uh, SmackDown a couple weeks ago. He wasn't exactly knocking him dead. Well, but. Vince says that he he's frequently said, like, uh, he doesn't want to be on TV anymore. And he's kind of, like, done being a TV character. And he does, but then he comes out and he makes an appearance. But I don't know. That's different than, like, he's going to be on Raw for three hours. But right. um, so let's uh, – you want to get things started here? AEW so, did it, though. Jericho. Jericho was – like, those. He, he, he added so much excitement to those yeah, shows. Jericho does – Jericho can basically – do anything and it comes off across as entertaining i i don't i don't know if what works for jericho is like almost like not working for anyone else it's kind of like the the michael jordan documentary right it's like michael jordan can afford to be like this competitive and michael jordan can like afford to take this many shots and maybe like be this hard on teammates but it's because he's michael jordan and like not to say jericho is like jordan but jericho can do some stuff and can plays in his own realm yeah i guess my point to that was though think of all i still watch on the network like rod just mentioned like bobby and in gorilla i can into those two i don't care about the matches right mm-hmm. i like gorilla, like if you watch primetime wrestling like the which was the weekly broadcast they have those those shows are like nothing they're just squash matches there's a lot of times there's not big stars of even wrestling or an appearing but it's it's um Heenan and monsoon just carry the whole thing yeah yeah the, i mean the commentary was it was a huge part of the show now it's you know, the ring announcing, the backstage interviews, it's all supposed to be unimportant. And when it was important, I mean, Mean Gene, you know, Howard Finkel, every mm-hmm. aspect just was so lively. And it just made I, the entire show so much better. Raj, I loved the old, the end of the primetime era when they had, it wasn't a round table, but they're like at the table together and they'd always throw in like Reverend Slick or Hillbilly Jim. <laughs> Must have been on the payroll that had nothing to do. And they didn't add much to that show, but like it was always a, a, a Vince or, or Gorilla or Bobby thing. But I always liked those odd characters. That was the the site of the perfect babyface turn. I think was was primetime wrestling. Yeah, I think the water on Enid's head. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Good memories. Yeah, it, it was awesome. Um, so yeah, looking at 1987, uh, what you were uh, talking about this was January. Uh, what was the date again for this? January third, 1987. All right, so January 1987, Walk Like an Egyptian was number one on the charts, Shake You Down. Uh, at the box office, it was The Golden Child and Critical Condition. That's a shocker. Richard Pryor, I, I didn't know it did that well. But uh, Critical Condition, <laughs> January 1987, at the top of the box office. Well, historically, January is like not like blockbuster season. Right. So you can get some interesting movies sneak in. And Raj, I'm not sure if you're a big Boston guy. The Boston Celtics. He's on the wrong. He's on the wrong podcast. I'll tell you that. <laughs> we're defending. We're defending. Uh, Celt- the defending NBA champion to the Boston Celtics, but that's neither here nor there. Well, yeah, I, I haven't followed Boston sports, so I, I know the Patriots. But <laughs> and Patriots coming off a brutal Super Bowl. By yeah. Oh yeah, right. It's a big year. Red Sox. Red Sox had just blown the World Series too. Yeah, we're we're, we're just starting '86, right? No, we're just starting '87. Yeah, hey, yeah. So. so. The Mets are the champions. Congratulations. Uh, Congrats, yeah. Okay, so you want to get started with the show? Um, yeah. I hope everyone's synced up. and, and... Yeah, so why don't we go ahead and uh, go ahead and we'll hit play. We'll wait about 10 seconds before starting. We're going to hit play and pause. Wait about 10 seconds so that way if you guys have any ads or anything that, that show before your stream, uh, we could get those out of the way. And then we'll all start together. So uh, go ahead and hit play. And in 10 seconds, we will... Uh, get started. Go ahead and hit play. Get your clock down to zero, and we'll go ahead and get started.
So five, four, three, two, one. All right. This opening theme. So I believe up until up until '86 they had been using Obsession, and so that was what was on uh, that Firefly Funhouse match, the Obsession theme. Yeah, and that really that really like kind of sold the Funhouse to me at least was yeah. like the like making it as and even like Cena's promo, which was hilarious. Like he talks, he what is he? He says he says. Um, like you're gonna pay for a whole seat, but you're only gonna use the edge of it. I love that kind of stuff. That's yeah. so goofy. I miss these the promos before. Like I should say, I miss them because I wasn't born when this happened. In case anyone's wondering, <laughs> but I like these kind of like everyone cuts a promo. This is everyone on the show. This is the show. I don't think the Survivor Series would have worked without those "What I'm Thankful For" videos. Right. Oh, those are so good. Yeah. The one from the 1990 Survivor Series is so good because it's ev- it's the epitome of everyone's character. It's like perfect Roddy Piper, perfect Rick Rude, perfect Tito Santana. It's everyone. Even the Rumble. Rumble with the pictures of and Vince going nuts with like the earthquake, Andre the Giant, you know, everybody right. that's in the Rumble. So I, I agree. That it's To me, it's, it's – and I hate to be too critical this early in the show, but it's that alarming like lack of creativity. Yeah. Why not try new things now? This – there's nothing you can do wrong in this this like corona era. It's it's well, wide open. Well, if you look at this show, you look at Saturday Night's Main Event from 87, look at it in 85, and look at it in 89 and 90, it's always looking different. It's always changing. The look of the shows has been so so much the same for a long time now. And, and Raj, uh, I feel like you can close your eyes. Or you could I mean you could probably tell me the next three Raws, oh, yeah. you know, basically outline them. That's not a good thing. No. I, I, I could easily tell you it's going to open with a promo, uh, a little fisticuffs, sets up a match for later in the show. Zelina Vega and her group come out, they lose a match. You know, I mean, it's. I could write it and, and anyone would believe it. So, do you think that Vince is jealous that Jesse can wear a, a sleeveless shirt for the job and Vince has to wear a suit? You think Vince <laughs> wants to wear a sleeveless shirt? You think he's jealous of Jesse right now? Remember when he got the chance when Primetime Wrestling moved to the studio and Vince started wearing those <laughs> like, muscle, uh, yeah, right, those muscle suits. I think Vince always understood the the look, the presentation, the presentation. Yeah, and Michael the, the virus voiceovers are incredible. Yeah, the Vince yeah. voiceovers in this era, his voice. You know, there's there's different types of wrestling fans. Some like the Gold, Gordon Soley, you know, that kind of style of announcing, more of a a sports announcing, but this was like live, like just, just you know, just uh, full of energy and and just crazy entertaining. Visceral, yeah. Vince calls Hartford, Connecticut, the insurance capital of the world. Is that true? <laughs> I think Hartford would take it. They don't have a whole lot else going for. I mean, home of what WrestleMania eleven, right? Yeah, the, 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 the most the most forgettable WrestleMania. Yeah, okay, I so. was. How old was I? I don't know. Ten. I went. My father took me to the fan fest. I think it was the first time they did a fan fest. And I mean, as a kid, it was just it was larger than life. Right? I broadcasted a match with DiBiase. I 
that met Shawn Michaels. I think I still have those. My parents love those photos. Like it was a it was a big deal. But um, the I didn't care the setting as a kid. But obviously, looking back at that mania, uh, left a lot to desire. Yeah. So we're opening with Paul Orndorff versus Hulk Hogan. This was pretty common back then. Even now with Saturday Night Live, it, because it's on so late, they get the big stuff out of the way, get the big rating, and then you, you know, Saturday Night Live, you have the bad sketches at the end. Uh, Saturday Night's main event, kind of the same thing. The big stuff was at the beginning, and then you, you phase down as the show went on. You know, we were talking about obsession earlier. I still think this second theme, the one that we listened to on the show, I still think that was the best one of all time. For any w- for any WWE show, yeah. Well, SummerSlam and WrestleMania back then had some good ones, but yeah, a big WrestleMania theme, yeah. Right, but the Saturday Night's main event, th- this theme stayed for most of the time after. Mm-hmm. I think Speaking even of, when they brought it back, I think it had this theme. Dude, uh, Orndorff, Orndorff takes takes the Hogan Real American theme if you remember. So he come, they, they both come out to Real American, which right um, is kind of a forgotten Mister Wonderful part. His so, stuff was so good, but but so it doesn't get talked about very often. I, so I what I forgot. I forgot about this. So, Orndorff was like kind of one of Hogan's like first like real big rivals when he first got to the company, and they, he obviously worked the main event of WrestleMania one. But they had done an angle where Orndorff was a babyface, and he was teaming with Hogan uh, in 1986, and then Hogan like um, a heel like converted Orndorff, saying he's in Hogan's st- shadow and. Orndorff turned back to a heel, and now he's back to being the same kind of Paul Orndorff, this time with Bobby Heenan. Yeah, so they were they, they were good friends uh, in 86. Uh, they were tag-teaming together, and then there was this angle where Hogan missed a phone call from Paul Orndorff, and this caused some heat, and then Orndorff, Orndorff turned on Hogan. And so they were feuding all throughout uh, 86, and it was a huge, it was a big-money feud. Ross, uh, you're telling me two friends ended up <laughs> I'm kidding, but it's, it's kind of the, the it works so well, and and a lot of that should be I don't think it's credited to to Mr. Wonderful, but it works so well. They oh, yeah. they basically reuse this with Andre because this started like you said this started early in '86. They restarted with on they read it with Andre. The Savage thing is is kind of a obviously they added Miss Elizabeth, kind of a carbon copy of the whole Friends breaking up. Uh, Sid Sid Vicious Sid Justice they do with him too. You know years later, so. Uh, they, Vince loved that angle for Hulk. Yeah, his WWF, his biggest drawing angles, three of them were friends that turned on him with Savage, well, Andre, and Orndorff, and the one that wasn't was Piper. So Orndorff, right. who, Orndorff, like, I don't know, maybe he just wasn't, he's not as colorful or as memorable as, like, Piper or Savage or Andre the Giant, but if you look at actual pure numbers, oh, yeah. Orndorff was Hogan's best drawing opponent. He drew more money with Hogan, with Orndorff drew more money with Hogan than Hogan drew with anyone else. Well, if you I, look I think at the house show attendance and everything like that, Orndorff is was the top heel for, in the WWF for a good three or four years when Hogan was absolutely on fire. Yeah, well, Orndorff he had a, a match with Hogan in Toronto that drew seventy six thousand mm-hmm. fans. So that I think inflates the house show numbers up. I think if you look overall uh, the number of sellouts and everything, it's it's between him and Randy Savage. But then Randy yeah. Savage also had the big pay-per-view buys. Um, That's the difference with Mr. Wonderful, too. To me, everything in WWE history is the WrestleMania era. Orndorff doesn't really have mania moments. Right. He's, he's, yes, he's in the well, he's in the first one. But like, if this headlined a mania, if this if this did numbers at WrestleMania three or, but like, he just kind of was the and then he he's there for another year. But that roster is as we see on this card is so loaded. They don't yeah. need Paul Orndorff. Yeah. So I think that. That hurts his uh, 
is standing in the company yeah. personally. Like Bruce Bennon noting that this was really the beginning of the Danny Davis heel turn from referee to the Hart Foundation. Yeah, Danny Davis is one of the referees here. He had been starting to be heelish. And, uh, yeah, he, he started wearing the, the referee uh, wrestler gear um, after this. And, and this is a couple months before WrestleMania 3. It was taped three months before WrestleMania 3. And it's crazy. You, you know, you're talking about the WrestleMania moments, Justin. Orndorff here, coming off of a year of being Hogan's biggest drawing opponent, was the backup in case Andre the Giant couldn't wrestle at WrestleMania 3. So just three months after this match, even though he lost here, uh, he was very possibly going to be in that WrestleMania 3 main event. Andre ended up making it, and Orndorff wasn't even on the card. Crazy Orndorf. to think that. I just I just worked, uh, I covered a indie show, it was big time wrestling, and it was a Heart Foundation uh, reunion. It was Brett, Jimmy, and Danny Davis. And I'd never met Danny Davis before, and uh, it was fun because I did like it was like a five minute interview backstage with Brett before we left the show, and it was fun to see Danny Davis just like be in. You know, a lot of guys are bitter, right? He wasn't bitter; he was thrilled to be around, and he he's got like very quietly too some cool memories. You mentioned that, that he was a big part of early Heart Foundation memories. Yeah, um, he he contributed yeah. to a lot of their heat. And I remember wondering when I first saw this match, why are there two referees? But Right. Well, I guess yeah. we'll find out. Yeah. So, Orndorff, Raj, you mentioned Orndorff headlined the big event in Toronto at Exhibition Stadium, yeah. and that drew like sixty-five thousand paid. Which, yeah, I think they announced it as seventy-six, but it was legit like sixty-five. Which, yeah. if you, That's, yeah, like compare that to like okay, like WrestleMania three. I, I know people think it drew ninety-three thousand. It didn't. Um, yeah, I don't. It, we're not. I don't want to start that argument. But my point, <laughs> my whole point of that, my whole point of all that is that if you think about like. That was not Wrestle Orndorff's show was not WrestleMania. It wasn't, you know, it was in Toronto. It wasn't like a major, major show, but he still drew sixty four thousand with Hogan paid. And that's oh, a yeah. mass that was the I think it was I mean it was before WrestleMania three, which would make it I think the biggest wrestling show in at least definitely in the United States in history up at that point and probably a gate record. Sure. It was North American, just, not in US. That goes back to the whole poor thing who knew at the time, but like he had bad timing everything's even back then like it wasn't built like i was just thinking about strike wars i don't know why but how they split and they didn't have like that pay-per-view and the rockers didn't right. either but marty was all messed up but like it wasn't necessarily built around hogan earthquake wasn't built around paying that off at a pay-per-view it still took time to get to that model and i think mr wonderful is one of those guys who really hurt and it hurt because uh he didn't have the pay-per-view all we do now is look at big moments of pay-per-views but back then it was it was all led to these these big shows, not necessarily televised across the country, North America. So that was in Canada. I feel like he really suffered suffers from that now. He's a much bigger star than we give him credit for. Absolutely. And we see someone in the chat talking about yeah, um, he had had that really bad injury with his right arm and it had actually kind of atrophied. So it's actually noticeably smaller than his left arm, but he's still a really good worker, but that's also probably contributed to his shelf life as a wrestler for sure. Yeah. So he, after, after, I believe it was shortly after this match, he went and he had the surgery done and then Heenan brought in Rick Rude and then Orndorff came back in the summer and it had the feud with Rude and Orndorff turned babyface again, never really clicked again. That was, I mean, this was basically the end of his WWF uh, run as a top guy or you always hear the the stars talking and Randy Savage would talk. I mean, I think it was Scott Hall talked about this, but mimicking Randy, how he learned it. And they said, you never want to lose your spot, right? right. You never want. And it, it, it's kind there. of an old wrestler thing to say, but like, it's true. 
like Orndorff not leaves, but he, he takes care of himself. He comes back. He's he never has a run again. Yeah. So it's funny that like if you leave, especially in that era where there was just so much talent, he was. I mean, he was in the main event of Survivor Series, but yeah, he never had. He never got to that level again. Yeah. Well, they had such a loaded roster. Like even you said, like they they leave or- Orndorff and they bring in Rick Rude. It's it's yeah. unfortunately someone who's going to take your spot when they're that good. And you know the resources at WWE's disposal, WWF's disposal, the territories kind of closing down, all that talent needing a place to work, or Vince going out and being able to offer more than they could uh, make anywhere else. It it was brutal because unless you were a guy like Hogan, you were replaceable, and that that was just the uh, the reality of it. Yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty brutal back then when you hear about the schedules that they had and it, now, you know now it's all organized. So when you're on the West Coast, you're staying on the West Coast for a bit and then moving you know southeast, southwest, uh, up north uh, over over months. You know then you'd have you'd be working in Florida and then you know you'd be working in California and, uh, within a weekend like all well, over the country. Well, the business was house shows. You made your money off of paid attendance to shows. You didn't make much money off TV. They would start to make more money off pay per view later, but that's how you made all your money, which is why they had so many shows. And nowadays, all the money's in TV, so they actually lose money on house shows last right. few quarters. And it's like it all it's grassroots ca- grassroots campaigning. It's weird. It's like they went places that you wouldn't think they would go either. It wasn't like it was all big cities. Yeah. They, they you, go you to some that. Even now, still, it's mm-hmm. kind of like grassroots campaigning. Yeah. I mean, even Vince McMahon said on the last call, he doesn't know what the future of live events really is going to be or what it's going to look like. Uh, if they're no longer profitable, it's it's like, what's the point? Back then, uh, Bruce Bennett, he, was, he pointed out earlier, the big boss man was a, a big... Uh, big money opponent for Hogan as well. He might have been the biggest um, as far as live events go. Uh, he was making 15000 a week for six months while he was working with Hogan. So you work with Hogan, you're getting that sweet money. So here we're seeing the finish. Hogan got out of the cage. Orndorff got out of the cage. Uh, and great, one referee is saying Orndorff. Fan. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. You, watching, I remember watching it as a kid and being like, you know what are they gonna do? They're gonna screw Hogan. Oh my god. And of WrestleMania is gonna be Orndorff versus Hogan with Hogan, you know, going after Orndorff. And Danny Davis is with the heel, he's with he's with Mr. Wonderful Joey Morella, the son of what uh who Gorilla Monsoon is with Hogan. Mm-hmm. So it, it everything made sense. I, I the storytelling was so on point. Yeah, so they got out at the same time. Hogan starts bullying uh Danny Davis, the referee going for Orndorff. Joy Morella is saying Hogan won mm-hmm. outside of the ring. Then Orndorff puts the attack, you know, starts beating up Hogan. Such, a, guys such are, a great angle. And they, they look like cartoon characters. Yeah. I mean, Hogan is, if Hogan's isn't bigger, there aren't many other times. Mr. Wonderful's huge. I mean, they look like two real life action figures. It's yeah. incredible um, what guys did to their bodies back then to look as good as they look. Yeah. No. Orndorff's so good. His his facial reaction, his selling of everything. He's so, so good. Voice. I can't do it justice. Yeah, Howard Finkel, man, that voice, such yeah. an icon. But everything, everything, and you had the Mean Gene interview beforehand. I loved like the Joy Morella moments. Very sad end of his life, tragic end of his life. Um, it's like it's all the, the big pieces of why do you love WWF in the eighties? Like this is a great, great match to show. Yeah. 
ridiculous so outfits they had the officials wear. Everything, you know. Yeah, abs- yeah, absolutely. It was it was so great. Uh, they didn't show the replays. I guess they did that after the match. Yeah, they'll do that later. They'll they'll show like the side by side, which. It's very unhelpful, in my opinion. The side by side. That's when Ventura goes. Well, actually, Orndorf got down a lot faster, and they re-edited it to make it look as close as possible. You know, as close as possible. Jesse makes the point that I think his knees are his knees are bent, something like that. We'll hear it at the end, but yeah, (laughs) kind of of contradicting everything Vince is saying, which era. That's how it works. The WWF was the first promotion, I believe, to really actually do like escape the cage finishes. Every other cage yeah. match promotions beforehand were, um, you know, doing the you know basic one two three or, or give up standard finishes. You didn't win by escaping the cage, and WWF was the first promotion to kind of do that, so they could do finishes like this, which work as the storyline. Yeah, ruined I mean, it though with terrible with the the door leading to the door is the worst. Like you paid to see that, oh, but. Or when someone like gets knocked out the door by the opponent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> WCW adopted it later, right? In the late nineties, didn't they have uh, Escape the Cage? Or well, it's become the standard. I'm sure they did it in Impact too. It's become this. Well, you know, WWE does something for a while, and it becomes the standard. WWF was the first promotion to do ten counts on the outside. It used to be twenty, and still twenty in other places. But it was ten in WWF, so now any place that's twenty is weird. Yeah. I believe a title should change on a countout or a disqualification. I think those are, you know, if you lose, if it's UFC or a sport, or a boxing, you lose by disqualification, you lose the title. It's a, think, think otherwise, you could be champion forever. Think of all the good Howard Finkel moments we wouldn't have had, though, had that been the case. And still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Hogan's going to hook up. Don't you miss it when guys sold moves and didn't just take moves and act like it didn't happen? <laughs> well... Back then, it worked so great. <laughs> but as it a worked, kid, it worked whenever. Yeah, I mean, there's no hard and fast rule. This is classic. This is. Yeah. How loudly would this get booed in 2020? Had we, if we had fans in the in the stadiums? And, oh, I don't know, man. Like, not not oh, holding kind of finish. This was new. Oh yeah, they would be. First of all, they'd be like, "Oh, all they did was punch and kick, and <laughs> there were no moves. The work rate was crap." <laughs> Hogan just using the same moves over and over. We didn't even get into Heenan, but Heenan very subtly plays a big role too. Always, always, Bobby's always involved. Kind of like when you look at Paul Heyman. Actually, Zelina Vega is good at this too. She's always doing something. Like I yeah. like the managers. It's like you can't take your eye off them either because when you do, you miss something good. Right. So yeah, Zelina Vega is probably the best. One of the best managers. She, you know, new managers in a, in a long time. I'm trying to think of since when. Heyman. I feel like there's got to man- be someone since Heyman. They're not allowed to be called managers, but right, agent slash manager. But there's got to be one. We'll call since him one. It's probably not Abraham Washington. Um, no, because Zelina's still trying to get over her talent while also keeping well, everything moving and alive. Well, Heyman's going to get involved in a second, and right. he's going to do something. He's going to do something that you don't see. Anymore, so uh, Hogan. Yeah, Bobby did it perfect. And when Bobby took a bump, like he he, he got he got his ass kicked. Yeah, well, he, like, take, so... in this he takes the biggest bump of this match. Bobby Heenan does. You're right, Michael DeVire is saying, "Yeah, they change rules now." Yeah, 
Uh, and also pointing out that Hogan could work. If you watch his Japan work, but WWF didn't need him to do so, it was a big man style Vince preferred. You know, I, from a story standpoint, you know, if it's <laughs> Jack and the Beanstalk, you don't want the, them doing double drop kicks or anything. You want the, the giant to be a giant and then the, the baby face to, to be faster and, and still strong so it's not unbelievable when, when they get the win. Yeah, this whole thing was perfect too. So here comes Hogan the pulling back down, getting back into it. Bobby coming in, trying to hold him. Yeah. So Hogan basically, once the match was restarted, just kicked the crap out of Paul Orndorff. Yeah, he gets back in the <laughs> ring, he pokes up. But that's but that this is what the people wanted at the time. And you have yeah. to remember, Hogan didn't wrestle on TV every week. He wasn't on no. Raw every week. He would wrestle a few. You'd see a few Hogan matches, I think, a year. You'd see him on Saturday Night's Main Event. You'd see him on the pay per views, and that was pretty much it. So. He didn't get stale the way that a wrestler now would get stale who's overexposed. Yeah. So, Hogan, all WWE. so he could get away with, you know, not doing that, not changing the formula that much because you look at Mr. Wonderful there, how he crawled out of the ring. That's the way I look after a workout. <laughs> now, Hogan had beat the beat up Bobby Heenan before escaping the cage. Now he's won the match. Now he's beating up Heenan some more. Heenan's selling like crazy. <laughs> he, I Jesse, mean, Heenan. Jesse lays into Hulk here, too, which is really good. This is where the selling was. Heenan's selling was just insane because he looks really effed up right now. <laughs> like yeah. He looks. Well, here, this is the. It looks real. Between, this is the difference between Heenan and, and other managers, like especially now, like Zelina Vega is good, but the thing with Ho- Heenan was that he would interfere in the matches and then he would get his ass kicked, and you're not going to do that with Zelina for obvious reasons, but. Heenan, like, like what Hogan just did to Heenan, that happened on, like, every show Heenan was on. He always, like, interfered, and then he sold for the baby faces, and all worked out. Now I think the managers that were or escorts or valets or advocates or whatever WWE calls them, they don't have that kind of role. Like, even Heyman, he will occasionally, but Heyman doesn't take those kind of bumps. And, like, people like Heyman. He's not the devious guy, even if they don't like his wrestler. And people I like Selena, and they like Lana, and they like any, obviously, hot woman. But I think that's why uh, I liked I liked the Singh brothers so much. Like they when yes. they were working. Yeah, you're right. That's good. And they're they, not man. They're not managers, but they kind of played that role, and they were perfect. And they took they took some like excruciating looking bumps. Oh, that's gosh. A oh Remember Randy Orton? Yeah. There were a couple at Randy Orton. Yeah. Like yeah, you well, just throw them like they were prison, nothing. right? Yeah. One of them, yeah, in the Punjabi prison. One of them like fell off the top of the prison, which right. prison, which is like equivalent to falling off the top of the cell. And he crashed through the table, and they didn't set up the crash pad underneath it like they did for Shane McMahon. And they didn't even take the monitors off. He just fell. I can't believe that was like the nastiest bump someone's taken in WWE in like the last like 10 years. Yeah. If there's two saying, more likable talents, like following them, I have never interviewed them. I just watch them on TV. I follow them on social media. I love how they like t- talk about their, their affinity for Bret Hart, how hard their parents worked for them. Like, I think they're not every guy is better when you follow them on social media. I love following them on social but, uh, media. That's true. That's that is true for a lot of these guys that like their actual real personalities are like super likable, and you don't always see that on WWE yeah. television. It's like when you watch the WWE 24s, like, like, oh my god, this person's so likable, they're just like the nicest person, and then you don't see that kind of stuff on the program. So, Veggie Gamer saying, Heyman is so stale, though, man. I, I, he's you know. I feel like his act with Hay- uh, with Lesnar has gotten a little. Actually, it's been stale. Heyman needs someone to work off of. You see him when he was with CM Punk when they were work, you know, going off of each other. 
Uh, with Lesnar, he does kind of do the same thing week in, week out. So I'd like yeah. to see Heyman get someone else that he has chemistry with because it's yeah, got to be the right person. There's two schools of thought with that. Like, you use Heyman. Oh, wait. Hold guy. on. Hold on. Right now. We're going to, <laughs> I got the shirt. I got the Macho Man shirt. And we're going to Macho way, Man he, versus George Animal Steel. Cage down very quickly. Yeah, right. So I think when they taped this, I think that was the last match of the night. Probably. Yeah. Otherwise, people would have left. They're not. They weren't sticking around for the Blackjack Mulligan. Right. Um, Billy Jack Haynes. Uh, Let's listen in to this Randy Savage promo. Can you? Lovely manager, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, you've heard the news. A big surprise coming from George the Animal Steel. Elizabeth, you think it's going to involve you? Well, anything that affects Randy affects me. You don't want to shut up, do you? I'm the champion and nobody cares about you. George the Animal Steel apparently does. Don't be contradicting me, you have playing Tughead. Elizabeth, get moving. I should slap your face and put you against the wall. Vince, I, I get the impression anything the Savage did was so freaking great. He, like that was a one minute promo. And, and it's, it's uncomfortable looking back too, because obviously that's not something you'd want to see now. Can't say it now. But, but for the story, I love that Elizabeth has to hold the ropes for him because when he finally has that moment at WrestleMania Seven after his career's over, and and Sherry is just kicking the crap out of him, literally. And Liz goes to hold the ropes for Randy, and Randy says no, and he holds him for her. I mean, that's a, that's a good four-year storyline. Yeah. Um, even even the opening match, like the best story in WWE or WWF, it was it was Heenan Hogan. Like, in yeah. Bobby on commentary just kind of helped that go. But like, it's what ninety-two before Bobby really gets the better uh, Hulk, right? With Flair winning the Rumble. Uh, those moments. It takes time to have great moments, you know. I think everything's so rushed now sometimes. But I love, I love the Elizabeth Randy Savage story and the Bobby Hulk story it was so good too. Yeah, and uh, so Savage and Steel, and, and to your point, uh, Justin, you know, we were talking about Hogan hulking up and no selling. He did that for a long time. So when he fi- when it finally didn't work, WrestleMania six with the Warrior, it was a huge deal. Um, and that's, that's three years later. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they weren't thinking that far ahead, but it all right. worked. Well, actually, five years later, when you think about when he started doing that in 85. Yeah. So George Steele and Randy Savage had been feuding for almost a year at this point. Uh, they faced off at WrestleMania two. Savage obviously retaining. Um, George Steele had a big crush on Elizabeth. You know, Savage uh, took great offense to that, and they had been feuding ever since. And then... Months later, we would have the epic match between Randy Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. George Steele would be in his corner. I mean, Macho and George Animal Steele were, you know, were paired for for a long time. Well, it's interesting to me because George Steele was like a really big drawing heel in like the Bruno San Martino era, you know, mm-hmm. where when Vince McMahon Sr. was in charge. And once Vince Jr. got involved, he... um. You know, like he didn't really like a lot of the older wrestlers. He kind of phased a lot of them out. But for whatever reason, he keeps Steel around, even though Steel is old and not in good shape. Um, I don't know. He, Vince probably just got a kick out of him. But Vin, like you said, he feuded with Savage for like a, basically over a year and had like a really good run. Like when he was, you know, past his prime. I mean, yeah. not to disparage him, he was like a a teacher, a school teacher, and like a, a really successful, I think, football coach and maybe a wrestling Is coach teacher. Too. Yeah, 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 in Michigan. And, like, he's in, like, the Michigan Coaching Hall of Fame and all this kind of stuff like that. So he would do that during the week, and then he would come, you know, throughout his entire career would go do this on the weekends. Yeah. 
I mean, Steel was, I mean, he's an iconic character. I mean, they even, I remember they referenced him on Seinfeld once. Um, so it's, uh, he was in, uh, what was that Johnny Depp movie where he played the, the old director, Ed Wood? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. Has there ever been a wrestler with more body hair than George Steele? Jerry Lawler back in the day. <laughs> At Steele levels? I couldn't imagine wrestling this guy. Presented differently. Absolutely. Pensai? When I first started Oh, writing, yeah. He's bigger, so he's got more ground. The pride when I first started writing for Sports Illustrated, I was a big Randy Savage story I'd been working on. I was pitching, and I, I ended up running it with SI, but I did so many interviews. One was with George Steele, and I talked about, like you said, major star. Huge part of Savage Steamboat. He's there in the corner at Mania and George Steele. This is what? I don't know. I don't know when the story ran. Uh, it ran before WrestleMania 31 because that's the year Savage got inducted in the Hall of Fame. But anyways, um, he was still pissed that he wasn't part of that match. He said his payday was a fraction of what it should have been. So I like the old timers still still uh, bitching about their paydays. But, um, <laughs> but that, was in, that was in Michigan too. So I think he thought that would have been a perfect spot for him have a match but yeah i sometimes you think of the cat it's hard to separate the character from the person of course you think it's a great moment george the animal still being ringside he wanted to be in the ring so i thought that was a, a fun fun little anecdote from, from the animal yeah so savage right here we just saw a this. terrible bump yeah savage first was going to the top rope he's going to drop the elbow ricky steamboat's music hit and out he came yeah you know they didn't really do that much back then where they hit the music first and they came out they'd usually just come out so Steamboat came out. George One of the Steamboat worst creations Steel. in pro wrestling. It's like, how do, who's hitting the music? It's, it's overused now, too. Yeah, yeah. Ex- oh, it's way too overused. Uh, it takes a lot of the organic feel out of it. Then uh, Steel threw Savage out. Now Steel grabbed Elizabeth and is running to the back. Yeah, and Jesse Ventura, a very surprisingly woke take by Jesse Ventura, asking, she didn't ask to be saved. She wasn't in danger. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you could do this angle now. Oh, uh, well, you'd have to make it, I think, more obvious that I'm, Liz I'm, didn't like Savage, which was never really that obvious. On Dynamite, you had Jake Roberts putting a snake on Brandy and then doing that little yeah, push but up. Jake, which, so that which, was, I, I was very uncomfortable watching that last yeah. Which you can do, but in that scenario, at least Jake is the heel. I'm not, maybe, you know, maybe it's not right, but Jake is the heel. He's doing it for heat. George Animal Steel is the baby face. Yeah, well, he had Dustin. Can we go back to Jake Roberts for a second, though? To me, Jesse, like the whole lore of the snake is, and I'm getting off track now, the whole lore is the snake's going to get you. So I didn't like that last night with Brady for a bunch of reasons. It made me uncomfortable. But the snake actually slithering on her, to me, I don't want to – it's the whole the snake's coming to get you is the whole – it's like the boogeyman, right? I don't actually want to see the boogeyman. I want to be scared of him. So to me, me, I didn't – and and Raj – I thought a lot of parts of that were very uncomfortable. I agree. Yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, I don't know, something from a little diff- a different era. I don't know. So there's a lady referee. I didn't know we had those in the 80s. We only had those until recently. Yeah. I, I don't remember ever seeing her. Do you think they had, like, press releases and stuff to talk about and, like, <laughs> to talk about? I don't know who that is. I don't know who if that someone is in the cha- If someone in the chat knows, please tell us. Bruce I believe Brennan, there in, in controversy. Yeah, so Savage, was a, heel, Savage was a heel here. Four months later, he'd be one of the hottest baby faces. And uh, Bruce Brennan t- t- pointing out that Savage never turned, but the fans loved his matches and his charisma. And yeah, fans really George, did turn Randy Savage. 
George Steele somehow not counted out here. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's entertainment because the referee was distracted because Steamboat was yeah. jaw out, you know, jaw jacking with Savage. That's- I think your your viewers and your listeners are, are are pretty pretty astute wrestling historians, but if anyone's a little bit younger or unfamiliar with George the Animal Steel, it's hard to describe the excitement you felt watching him rip open a turnbuckle. Oh, it, was, it, it seems ridiculous, right? But it was so it was like cutting edge stuff in 1987. Yeah. You you never forget it because he was the only one that did it. It was so, right. such a uh, such a trademark. I can't even really think of anything similar to that. Like he would do something like to the ring, and it would like it became like this iconic thing. I don't right. think he ever really wasn't like making a point. He was just well. I think back in the sixties when he first started doing it, it was the idea was like this guy's crazy. He's like you know the crazy monster heel, and at this point he's beloved, so it becomes like the you know iconic thing as opposed to like. The scary thing, which happens with all monster heels that eventually become baby faces. Yeah, yeah. funny how Vince did that with, like you mentioned his old timers earlier, um, the ones he kept, like Gorilla Monsoon. They had a great relationship. Gorilla became his beloved, you know, commentator. He was a massive heel. George Steele, same thing. Uh, obviously, a much different role, but but a, a, a beloved baby face. So yeah, funny how the uh, the major heels of that era, even Kimber Kowalski, I feel like all those guys, those bad guys, right. were also lovable in their later years. I remember my dad, because my dad watched wrestling before I did. I wasn't allowed to watch until, uh, until yeah, this year. This 87 was when I first started really watching. But um, he would tell me how scary the animal was back in the day and, you know, what a you know dangerous heel he was. And I just could not understand it. <laughs> he's such a, a cuddly teddy bear. But you right? see the tactics, he's, the tactics he's using with the biting. And you could, you could see how he could be a, a scary heel. Oh, definitely. All Hall of Famers we've seen so far. I think everyone, almost everyone on this show, everyone in the match is a, is a Hall of Famer. Look what we saw. We saw, we saw Hogan, Mr. Wonderful, Keenan. You saw Fink. You saw Danny da- Dangerous, Danny Davis. Someone you know quick, quickly said, hey, the Heart Foundation uh, program, like all iconic stuff. Then you see Savage, Elizabeth, George Steele, Ricky Steamboat. It's like, we're, we're on the second match. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, that's... That's a lot of greatness right there. Well, yeah. these shows would, these shows would, like we said, they would kind of peak early, and they do the biggest match first, and then do the second biggest match. And right. uh, now you, you couldn't do that, but you're right, Raj. Like it's the Saturday Night Live kind of model. It's like you do your biggest stuff first, right? So people are tuning in, and then hopefully they stick around and keep watching. And obviously, this is, Raj I think, what, what is this? The thirteenth? I think it's like, is this the thirteenth show? So it's a formula at this point. Another thing, too, I, speaking of iconic, and, and CM Punk tapped into this, but that savage attire, the stars, man, so special. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Macho oh, Man, it was one of those weird things where he has these weird sunglasses and then pink tights with stars on them and un- boots that don't match and comes out to the graduation song with the right. you know gorgeous uh sweet looking lady and all that together and it just works and it's just iconic uh it, well, it's he vo- was just voice so yeah so he used the ring bell now the ring bell of course was he had crushed Ricky Steamboat's larynx with it yeah 
1986, which is when Steamboat came back. I don't nice. know was that was the, when he, the first time he came back. Oh, he comes back again. But yeah, I think this is like his return from the Larynx injury, which of course would set up their iconic match at WrestleMania three in a couple months. Yeah, I think Steamboat had just come back like a couple weeks before this. And this is like his second appearance. He hasn't wrestled yet, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And so Steamboat, Randy Savage is going to the back. I feel like every Saturday night's main event, at least one of the big matches was a DQ. I'm not sure what this is. I think this is a, fi- a clean finish because I think the referee uh, ended up counting him out. I can look. Let me just look up real quick. Um, yep, it's a clean finish. He defeated Georgie Animal Street Steel. He pins him at the end. Oh, um, so this isn't over yet. Well, you're, no, you already pinned him. Oh, I missed, missed that. It. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he hits him with the ring bell, and, and then he pins him. Knocked him yeah. out. Oh, I thought he hit him, and then Steamboat came out. Okay, got Oh, man. That's my head. Yes. How do you make the animal feel better? Feed him some turnbuckle. <laughs> this is actually, like, real character work from him, his facials and his expressions, and, like, needing to be comforted by the turnbuckle. It's actually, like, real good acting. Yeah, you know, I'll come down on some of the gimmicks today, you know, but, <laughs> uh, saying they're they're way too beyond the pale to to connect. But I mean, this was pretty pretty. This was pretty out there. I I think of him more as a modern day bushwhacker, and that's not fair because but the bushwhackers are very very good. Yeah. But Otis, like Otis, has a little bit of George Steele to him. I mean, yeah. Otis has a lot of that old school throwback kind of character vibe in in his in his presentation. Well, Steel, uh, Steel Savage and Elizabeth is very similar to Ziggler, Mandy Rose, and Otis. Not nearly as iconic or anything or as uh, as memorable, but but it is probably in a lot of ways the best storyline WWE has going. And that probably would have been. I mean, you can imagine. We can imagine that that eruption that happened at WrestleMania in front of a, a live crowd. But when did that start? November? With was it the ham or the hug? But like it was one of those like. Uh, organic, like the crowd just roared. You don't you used to hear that all the time, but I agree. That's one of those things. They I don't know if they knew it would ever be that big. I don't think so, but they they kind of worked themselves into a huge deal. Yeah. So here, about- he's oh, Harley Harley Race. Harley Race can't be Harley Race. He has to be the King Harley Race. It's funny. I I didn't realize what a badass Harley Race was until years later. Well, I, I remember that... when they would book Harley Race against Hogan. I'm like, he can't. Why are they putting him against Hogan? He he's he's not a threat. Yeah. Well, and I noticed I... that if you if you like, when they talk about him in this promo, they don't mention that he was you know the eight time NWA champion. They don't mention him. Oh, they, no. they, they hype him up, but they never acknowledge that this guy is like at this point like maybe the biggest one of the biggest legends actively wrestling. In 1987, as far as like totality of his career, you know, I never... bought him one of those cheap crowns too. They didn't even buy him like a legit. Look at this thing. <laughs> it's literally like it's coming around his neck or his chin. Harley Race when he, when he dyed his hair this color, he looks like he's 65 years old. Like he, you know, they aged him so much with that hair color. Yeah, he looked much younger when he had the dark. Or he looked hair younger managing Vader. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, Harley Race he, um, was awesome. He, I remember he the first time I interviewed him, he it, I was a little a little nervous cuz you know, he's kind of like the man's man's man. Mm-hmm. It was uh you don't want to ask him, you don't want to set him off or say something stupid. Well, <laughs> Harley, Harley Russell such a 
like a physical bump heavy style and he he worked so often and he traveled so much that unfortunately by this point in his career he doesn't really have that much left but if he had been presented as like the multiple time NWA champion and he was presented as a like a true legend of the industry mm. i think he would have done better because he would people would have maybe gotten over the fact that he wasn't maybe like physically all the way there if he's a legend the same way people think like goldberg you know people react still to goldberg you don't mention don't the number 2 i, I, I agree i'm with you can and he had bobby yeah, I mean, the NFL never mentioned the XFL on air, and you don't have UFC mentioning Bellator. You, you don't mentioning them kind of brings them to your level. So I always understood not not bringing up their um, mentioning that he was a the NWA legend. I mean, you could say that. I don't know. At this I, don't know. I feel time, like you, you don't want drawn, to... You could have drawn more money with him that way. I mean, you yeah, you could take, if you, you have Hogan, you're, you're already drawing. Yeah, but not forever. My favorite King Harley race moment was from, like, classic WWF. It's the feud with Duggan, and they fight all over the Slammies. That Slammies, I believe, was the first one. It was the 37th annual Slammy Awards. Do you guys remember that? Like, typical, <laughs> like uh, they called it the 37th annual Slammy Awards. So. Yeah. What a, was that what the a one with uh, Vince, uh, with Stan Back? It must be, right? And yeah, they're, they're stuffing cake into his face and... What a weird number to pick if you're going to make something up. Thirty-seven. <laughs> it sounds legit because yeah, if he said fortieth, then it would yeah. sound like it could be made up, right? So Harley Race facing JYD, they would go on to have a rematch at WrestleMania three. Two uh, more legends, like yeah. I mean, match after match. This is a loaded card. Well, it's such a ridiculous roster because I mean, look at this. You got Harley Race who comes from. The NWA, he comes from, you know, like Kansas City territory and then later Mid-Atlantic. But, you know, he ended up, you know, having to go when WWF first went national. Harley Race threatened. He's, I think he said, I'm going to like go into the locker room with a gun if they come to Kansas City or if they come to St. Louis. I forget the city. Um, he hated the ex- national expansion. And then three years later, Vince has got him wearing a crown in it. And, and look, we got, who we got an inset promo from? Roddy Piper. So talking about the greatness on the show. Goodness gracious. You know, if you go back and watch WrestleMania 8, you have Hogan, Flair, Savage, Piper, Brett, Shawn Michaels, the Road Warriors did a promo. Lex Luger did an inset promo uh, promoting the World Bodybuilding Federation. Sid I Vicious. was complaining earlier about the music playing, but I love when the Warriors music plays at the end of that show. That was uh, awesome. Warriors, that show Undertaker, so, Jake that show, Roberts. I, I just rewatched that show. That show's so bad. I know it has all the star power, and yeah. I know it has all the big names, but if you look at that, the last two matches end in DQs. Like, yeah, they should have so ended with bad. Savage and Flair. If but they Hogan, had switched Savage and Flair Sid with Hogan the, and Sid. Hogan versus Sid was the bigger match at that time, as hard as it is to believe. Yeah, but if you're not going to have a finish, even though you did have the Warrior coming back, and when I was younger, yeah. that was enough. Like, Warrior coming back was just awesome. It was a big match, Jesse. You're right because it was presented as. It's so funny to think that was presented as Hogan's last match, right? Like that right. was the the whole backstage interviews with Vince if he was going to retire. Yeah, it was but, teased heavily as like he didn't know. Like he asked him, and Hogan like looks in the camera. He's like, basically like, I don't know if it's going to be my last match. Which I feel like John Cena's kind of doing that gimmick now. But I but you wonder why they couldn't have made it work with like if if Flair was winning. I get why you want Hogan to go last because Flair was never their guy, especially then. But with, with Savage winning the belt, you could have easily ended that show with Savage, done something with Hogan, still brought the Warrior back, Papa Shango, tied it all in. Um, I don't know. 
And, I, and, I, I, I wonder that as well. I guess they were just so comfortable with Hulk. And that mo- that match was more heated, I thought, than the Sid and Hogan match. Oh, she was mine before she was yours. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I know that on the, when they drew like the, when they did like the house shows and stuff, it, it doesn't age well. But Sid was bigger than was a bigger opponent for Hogan than Ric Flair was. Sid was a big what? star when he people, first showed up. People give Sid crap, but I thought I I was every time Sid was on, I was watching. WrestleMania 13 too. I know we talk about Taker, but like Sid was Sid was a big big star that like yeah. hey he could headline a mania with the belt yeah but I sid mean, never really drew that well he got a million opportunities he did draw well at the hoosier dome at wrestlemania 8 but you know sid 13. would get a big push in wcw wouldn't draw wrestlemania 13 is like the worst drawing wrestlemania in history but then, um, no one was drawing that year uh, bret hart wasn't drawing undertaker i mean no, I it was just the worst that. drawing year and then sid went back to wcw and he didn't draw there either so but when I, he went back wcw was on the decline he wasn't he wasn't like a difference maker yeah he wasn't he wasn't an austin or but no who was you know it, you can't single Good sit thing. out that Survivor Series match too, where he beats uh, HBK, like that crowd, and I know there was a lot of it was like anti Sean working with Jose Lothario, but I was at Sid, that. That place was electric for Sid. That place like riots if Sid doesn't win. I mean, Sid, I think it was the video camera, right? He smashes him with like right. that crowd was rabid for Sid. Yeah, I'm um, sorry, I was at the the rematch at the Alamo Dome, but yeah, that was I believe at Madison Square Garden, where and yeah. the pop when Shawn Michaels was there, pushed their biggest baby face. He was kind of faltering then the fans were really turning on sean the ratings were falling uh and sid you know there was some interest they just never sid wasn't as committed and and they never they never got that right opponent for sid as a baby face in, in 1992 know. Meltzer wrote uh the sid package has the world's best wrapping paper but it has absolutely nothing inside yeah but that's and that's that, Meltzer's idea of wrestling is but it's kind of true because he'd come in and he'd be, he's like, oh my God. But look it, that wasn't the he's case so in 92. He he's hadn't so done big. that yet. But he comes I in. Like and he's a run. Like, I think he adds to SummerSlam. Uh, he adds to the Rumble. He adds to that whole. I, SummerSlam 91, I thought, as he, he added a lot. Will he, won't he? That was a, that yeah. feud with Hogan, it didn't end well because, again, it ended poorly at Mania. We're, we're like, look, we're overlooking JYD here. Yeah. Um, but I like that whole, like, run from 91. 91, 92 said, Jesse, you're right. It, it didn't have the longevity, but um, that's a nice song. Uh, he was a good guy to have around. I'm with you. He's a, he was a good guy to have on the team. Maybe not your, maybe not your star player. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, I'm not taking a shot at Dave, but he likes the, you know, the Japanese style of wrestling and this, and he would rip on Hogan versus Andre, but that's the biggest, you know, uh, WrestleMania three is one of the most iconic matches, uh, you know, of all time. The H- Hogan versus Andre did 33 million viewers on NBC. So, you know, there, there's. Did Sid do 33 million million viewers? It did like, I'm not. Really, I, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm just saying, like, like I like I'm not like I don't want to dunk on Sid the entire time, but like Sid got like pushed in every promotion he was ever in, and with the exception of WrestleMania eight, which well, he was hot for, but you know. He just, just I'd be that, curious that reading. I'd be curious that it was a Saturday night's main event, or it was it was on Fox though. I think it was the one when Sid turned on Hogan. It was Hogan yeah. and Sid versus Flair, and I think Taker. Yeah, it was, wonder, think about that. That's kind of a crazy one. I know, and, and Sid like doesn't tag him. He doesn't. I, I'd be curious. I don't know off the. I'd be curious the rating on that show, like how well because that was a that was Sid and a bit. Now, granted, Flair was there, Hogan was there, and a young Taker. But I'd be curious how that match did. Um, that was like the big match of the night of our movie. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, you're right. I think Mountie, uh, Piper may beat Mountie for the belt that night, too. Maybe. Uh, didn't he beat him at a house show? Or no, no, Mountie beat Bret Hart at a house show. Right. So Danny Davis is getting a big run here. This is his second match involvement. JYD would actually, like, because they would run so many house shows, they would do three tours concurrent, and JYD would be the main event on a lot of the C, they call them the C-level tours, but he headlined a lot of tours for WWF um, and drew well, even though he wasn't really pushed at the same level as like a guy like Hogan was, obviously. Yeah. Another guy that kind of fell victim to that didn't last till, if he's there at WrestleMania 5 and a big moment, we remember him a lot. I mean, we still remember him fondly. But uh, a lot differently, I feel like, if he lasts a couple more years. A couple well, more he years. was um, he was such a big star in Bill Watts' territory in Mid-South. And, you know, he did shows. I think he wrestled the Freebirds uh, at the Superdome. And they did, like, 25, 28,000 people. Like, he was wow. a legit massive yeah. draw. And, um, you know, Vince out- could outbid Bill Watts at the time and took him. And he like JYD did well in WWF, but he was never like kind of that kind of main event star the way he was in the UWF. Yeah, Look I at mean the product placement here, by the way. <laughs> uh, so you were talking about the that Saturday night's main event where it was Sid and Hogan. That one did an eight point two rating. The one after that did a, a six point two. So huge difference um, with the one after Sid. Uh, granted, you also had Hogan, Flair, Taker. You're right. Roddy Piper defeated the Mountie on that one. You had Savage defeating Jake Roberts. So, ton of star power. But uh, that was a weird. I shouldn't say weird. But that was the end. I think to that. That was pretty much the end. No, was that the end of Savage and Jake? It may have been. Yeah, yeah. Because then Savage went to the world title. Right. And then Bobby and Paul Orndorff cutting a promo. Bobby's- we're gonna get the. I think we're gonna get the Zapruder film in a second. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, talk about ratings. This show did a 10.6 rating, which my conversion math, I think, is somewhere in approximately around 20 million people watching this, which is like, uh, yeah, what did Rod Rod do this week? 1.8 million or something like that on average. Yeah, the rating is probably like a... I mean, you can't... There's a huge difference between TV back then and, you know, you had primetime shows and TV doing 40 million people or something like that, but to think that 20 million people were watching... Uh, one wrestling show in the in the country is pretty crazy. But this was highly rated for back then too. Like you yeah, know, oh yeah. There was a NBC wasn't putting stuff on Saturday night. It's the reason they're on NBC, right? Yeah, right. yeah. And it was being here's, here's what Saturday Night Live was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Usually, at least in this period, I think uh, that changed in 1990. But up yeah, until... well, like there's that period of Saturday Night Live where Lorne Michaels wasn't part of the show, where the show really dipped. I don't know the exact years off the top of my head. Um. But yeah, I mean, to do 20 million viewers is insane. I will, a wrestling show will never do 20 million again. Mm-hmm. I always love how they're looking at the same thing. Vince and Jesse, they're yeah. replaying Orndorff and Hogan. They're both saying the opposite. And Vince is so sure. He's so <laughs> sure. That's what That's what really... Uh, I'm sorry. Jesse Ventura is so sure. Like That's what really sells it is that like it's this thing where it's like, as the viewer, I'm like, I don't know really who hit first. And like he's just totally like convinced of it yeah justin toner is asking if it was the one where sid turned on hogan yes it was um look at this adrian adonis he's not in the hall of fame right i don't think so no he's not he's so he's the first one that we're seeing that let's see i hate to keep bringing up sid real quick because jesse's wearing red i think because sid never wore the red tights i feel i'm sorry this has turned into a sid hour 
But I feel like Sid Justice had the, the red tights on that. I don't know if anybody can remember that, but he never wore red. He wore blue. He wore black. I feel like he had red that night. I think well, if, this right. goes well, if this goes well, Justin, we'll eventually get there. I, w- I always hated it, when, and this will be the last thing I say on Sid unless you say something else. I always hated they didn't give him a last name when he came back. I always thought Sid Vicious. It just sounded a, like a main event name more than just Sid. Right, and I didn't even like I didn't like Psycho Sid either. I'm with you. Yeah, I didn't yeah, like the on Psycho, and yeah, I'm with you. You needed a full name. Yeah, I agree. I'll say this about Adrian Adonis: he threw he did he threw everything he had into this gimmick. He didn't. This is kind of a I would say like a losing gimmick, but he tries so hard to do it, and he's got Jimmy Hart with him that it actually manages to work. Yeah. Gabe Tough. Right, right. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and I think I at the barbershop when he was with uh when he destroyed the barbershop when Sid did, he he was wearing the red as well. Was he? And he, that shaving cream on his face, it was so uh such a cool visual. Now look, Roddy Piper, you have this late in the show. That's shows you how stacked the Saturday night's main event was. My personal Mount Rushmore of you know my personal wrestlers, two of them are on this show: Savage and Piper. Who are the two? Sid, uh, Rock, and Austin. I mean, uh, um, uh, Austin and Flair, but Rock is right there. No Sid. Sid's <laughs> on six. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I know we, we I'm done with Sid, but I'm gonna go on a Jimmy Hart. <laughs> Uh, Sid, I don't think he ever was Sid, Sid Vicious. He was, yeah, he was definitely ass. psycho Sid. He started as Sid Justice, and he was just – I think he was Sid before he was Sid Vicious. Uh, before he was psycho Sid, he was just Sid. Sid Justice was a cool name too. Agreed. The Sid – so the, there's the video package that they did in WCW. I think it was like for like maybe Bash of the Beach 93 or Beach Blast 93 where Vader and <laughs> on the beach. Sid are on the beach. Well, um, Sting and I think it's uh, Davey Boy Smith are like playing – beach volleyball with like some orphans or something on a beach and then like harley race vader and sid are on like a boat and they fire like a missile at the beach or something and there's uh, a little person and it like is what a one of those unintentionally hilarious things you can find in wrestling i think it's the first season of the edging christian show when they had the network show and they yeah. did a spoof on that it's early on and it's like it's like <laughs> wet your pants wet yourself Laugh out loud. They were so funny the way that I'm going to go back and watch that after this. But um, yeah, some ridiculous stuff. So leading up to this match, if you remember, WrestleMania three was supposed to be Piper's retirement. That's what it was built as. How'd that turn Um, out? Yeah, he's still got like 10 more years of stuff. He's going to main event Starcade 96. He even Uh, won the uh, tag titles in this century with Ric Flair. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, so uh, here it's Flair and Adrian Adonis. Old school is cool, something like that. So yeah, but uh, so you have two matches here that were also at WrestleMania three with uh, Piper and Adonis, and then JYD and, and Harley Race, and then so, Hogan and Orndorff almost could have been uh, if Andre couldn't go. So Adonis is is heavy in this match. He's he's not really in great shape, but you can see how good of a worker he is by the bumps he takes. He does such a good job. Uh, yeah. Jesse, I love you say not in great shape, but I love the the variety of bodies, the shape. Yeah, it's been I, I, the first match they were both jacked to the gills, mm-hmm. but then you had George Steele, you had Randy Savage, it, uh, Steamboat is is jacked too. JYD, Hardy Race, like they're all a little bit different body wise. I feel like you don't see the shapes and sizes quite like that anymore. And they're all characters. Huge, 
What's yeah. that? They were all characters, and part of that was their body different, the the different body types that they had. Well, someone said something like, someone told me when I was talking about Keith Lee, they were saying like Keith Lee's fat, like he should like wear a singlet or something. He should cover, you know, cover up his belly. And I always thought like it actually kind of like as more makes him look more impressive, where you see like how big he is and like see yeah. his athleticism as opposed to hiding that. I don't know. I think it's interesting. If Keith Lee's fat, I, I got a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't. Keith Lee looks like a a football player athlete to me. Um, I just think him and Dijakovic, I feel like they don't utilize their strengths quite enough. Um, and that being big guys. And when you're doing everything, everything that everyone else is, yeah, you impress guys for a little bit, but it gets old fast. You know, it's funny. Garage goes back to your point with, uh, Hogan Orndorff, if they were doing double drop kicks, right. You know what I mean? Sometimes big guys should be big guys. I like Keith Lee. Oh, I like him too. And I think you break those out once in a while, you know, and, it, it just enhances it that much more as opposed to where you've seen 50 dives in a Dijakovic match on, on takeover. I, I think of Jim Neidhart with that because yeah. when he did the drop kick, which didn't happen, you know, more than once a match, like the, the anvil, not, the drop kick was special, but yeah. it didn't happen. Whole yeah. Like if Keith Lee, if we had never seen him do a move off the top rope and then at a WrestleMania, you see him climb up slowly and it just builds. And then he does it. It would, it would be remembered forever. Blow the roof off. Yeah. But I mean, everyone likes wrestling for different reasons. For me, it's always been uh, the characters and storylines. And then, if you have a great match on top of that, then it's perfect. So, unfortunately, now, like Jesse, a little. Um, I hope Sorry. I'm in the right spot as you guys. Jimmy Hart just got nailed by Piper. Yeah. All yes. right. So Jesse made the point earlier. You don't see managers take big bumps. Like that's the bump you're used to seeing with a manager. Like Jimmy flailed back, right? Like Bobby took. You mentioned it, Jesse. Bobby took like brutal, brutal bumps. Yeah, yeah. he was the like best bump taker in the in the company. Yeah. yeah, but that was the whole idea was that he was the evil heel manager and he got his like comeuppance like every single week, and now it's like you don't see that guys put their hands on managers. You don't see like the guy interfering and then like a lot of times it's because Vince doesn't like managers with the exception of Heyman, and when instead of managers he uses women, which is fine, but you're not gonna you know get the baby face punching the heel woman. It's not, that's not going to happen. Yeah. I'm smiling because Ad- of Adonis's uh, celebration. I, I, I totally forgot that yeah. Adonis won this match. Adonis winning by count out. He sprayed Piper outside the ring with this cologne. Piper is blinded. So he, so Rick Martell per- stole Adonis's gimmick here. Arrogance perfume. Arrogant. Yeah. <laughs> well, Gorgeous George used to have his perfume and spray it in people. Unfortunately, ah. uh, Adrian Adonis, like uh, only a year later, he'd unfortunately die in the auto accident. Um, and someone mentioned in the chat that there's so many of these guys aren't are no longer with us. And it is true. Um, and, it, and obviously dying in an auto accident is different. But a lot of these guys, unfortunately, the physical toll that they took, the, the lifestyles is so, diffi- so difficult that unfortunately a lot of these guys did not live um, into old age. Well, I mean, almost everyone on the show, um, you know, Adonis, Piper, uh, Savage, JYD's a car crash. JYD. Yeah. I think Race. he had a heart attack while driving. That was Savage. Think. That was Macho. No, yeah. I think. Uh, let me look up JYD because I think that JYD have. was in a. I believe he was in a car accident, but he was. Savage I remember he was, was driving back from his grandmother from his daughter's graduation. Jo- uh, Joey Morella too, I believe, because I yeah, remember he, yeah, he so died too. Howard Finkel. I think Mar- I think Morella was um, with that Howard was a car accident. Uh, Harvey Whippleman. 
on the New Jersey Turnpike, which is like a super dangerous stretch of road. Um, I remember reading that in the magazine as a kid. Joey Morella died and just not being able to understand it, you know? Right. And and I remember finding out that he was Gorilla Monsoon's son when it happened. Because I didn't know, you know, as a kid, I read Pro Wrestling Illustrated and it was all kayfabe. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, if you go back, I think like now that you know, like Jesse will occasionally throw like a tiny bit of shade his way, like (laughs) during it, like, oh, like, what do you know about that referee, uh, Gorilla? And like you thought, like, oh, it's Jesse. He's just, you know, trying to get under Gorilla's skin by saying he's friends with the referee. And then it's like, oh, well, they're. You know, when Jesse would call him Gino it was always fun too, like a little peek behind the curtain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they've oh, got a lot of hair here. They, are they in yeah, the we were seeing are him they in the jacket. <laughs> he looks weird in the jacket. Something just he doesn't does. seem right. It might be Jesse, like by the showers. You might be right. Yeah, it's, that's yeah. where I think they yeah. are. Looks, so it kind of, yeah, who knows? Like, the kind of seems like here they're setting it up where Orndorff could slide into the WrestleMania main event. They were basically saying that there's going to be an investigation. That would have been so anticlimactic. We'd have to look, but I'm sure they're still working house shows too, right? It must. Yeah, and this was, that was their main money source back then. Yeah, but I mean, pre-Mania 3, right up to there, right? they must still be working some house shows. Yeah. Yeah, they were. I feel like they worked a bunch of steel cage matches in like late 86. Because this is, remember, this is December 86 when this was taped. Um, yeah, so they had been pretty much working all year. So we got the Battle of Texas here. And out of um, all the wrestlers from Texas that are active at the time, uh, we're getting um, with Jimmy Jack Funk and Blackjack Mulligan, the two biggest wrestling stars from Texas, uh, to settle this. This is the ma- this is the TV main event, I guess. Which people in Connecticut love. <laughs> Texas going at it. <laughs> Jimmy Jack uh, Jimmy Jack was infamous for the uh, the Rockers. He was part of that um, when they got fired. He was oh, the yeah. guy that, like he was he was part of that bar scene, mm-hmm. the big thing that got Sean and Marty fired the first time. So Blackjack Mulligan, uh, a few years are away from going to prison for counterfeiting, um, which was recently in the news because it was mentioned in the uh, Dark Side of the Ring, Herb Abrams episode, that um, what is it? Herb Abrams mentioned that Blackjack Mulligan was going to be his booker and Blackjack Mulligan was in prison at the time because he uh, was making a bunch of fake $20 bills. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it he happens, made... Right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> he went to jail. So Blackjack Mulligan... Uh, he is the father of Barry Wyndham and Kendall Wyndham. And then his daughter married Mike Rotunda, a.k.a. the IRS man. And then, obviously, the IRS man's sons are Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas. Yeah. So he's kind of a patriarch of quite the wrestling family. Uh, and I feel like one of those kids, is it Bray's child? One of them is named Wyndham, I thought. Bray's name is Wyndham. Wyndham yeah. Rotunda. Okay, Rotunda. thank you. Yeah. yeah. And one of the kids, too? One one of the kids has some wrestling name, I thought. One of the children. Uh, it must be. It must be Brace. Just had a kid, also. Yeah. Because um, uh, Brace married to JoJo, right? But I think he had kids with his. I, I don't. I don't know the story. I, I thought he had kids already, but I know that she had a baby recently. They posted it on social media. But I don't know. Kind of the, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, JoJo. JoJo and Bray, right? Yeah. And not to go overly Boston on you, Rod. Jose Offerman? Jojo's father, Red Sox second baseman, Jose Offerman. The phantom tag against the Yankees in 99. 
Chuck Knobloch was out. <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't, yeah, I don't know what the hell you just said. This <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is we're in the hat. I got to wrap up. It's funny. I with other than football, uh, most of the the stars today I don't really know. But I remember yeah, back in this era, you know, <laughs> Jordan, uh, Tyson, and Hogan was. I mean, he wasn't as big as those guys. Not even close. But um, well, this, the this era had it. these iconic celebrities and stars, Michael Jackson. Um, that you don't see today anymore because of how much there is out there. You know, LeBron is a, a, an, an icon, but he's nowhere near what Jordan was. That's a good question, though. Like wrestling icons, Hogan for sure. You think you think for wrestling, you think Hulk Hogan. Yeah. I, I put the Rock just because he's he's been so big in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, the outside of wrestling, really. Right. I think Flair more lately, like yeah. he's become a pop culture icon. Hip hop helped with that a little, a little bit or a lot. Flair's age, his character has aged more, well, you know, more yes. than Hogan. Like, people still want to copy Flair. People don't want to copy Hogan. And maybe Cena? Like, there's not a whole lot of guys. Austin, too. But Austin, I'm, I'm always amazed at Steve Austin's acting career. Like, his agents, what were they doing? He should have been, maybe not The Rock, but he should have been a, a major movie star, Steve Austin. I, yeah. 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 The I mean, it depends on how far back you want to go. And, like, if you want to, like, just stick to America yeah. when it comes to like true iconic names. Yeah, we're but, not talking yeah. Ricky Dozan and you know, Elf hey, Ricky Dozan. Legend out. Yeah, yeah I, I'm saying we're. I'm, I'm just we're just talking American wrestling because the there airport, are uh, the airport in Pyongyang is named after Ricky Dozan. Yeah, in fact. So this is kind of like that was the end of the the, the matches. Blackjack Mulligan won with a, a back elbow. I should say and, Jesse Ventura. You could make a claim. Just be—I mean, Jesse did some things outside of wrestling that made him very, very relevant oh, yeah. uh, in, in American mainstream media uh, as as governor. It's it's hard to believe watching this. If you said Jesse Ventura is going to be governor someday of a state in the United States, um, and I don't just know. just a couple of days ago he Andre, took his name out of the hat for running for president. What's that? Just a couple of days ago he took his name out of the hat for running for president. There was a little talk that. You know, he might step in. I, I mean, I didn't think it was ever actually really going to happen, but. Someone just, uh, Bruce just mentioned Andre the Giant to Princess Bride. Andre's still very relevant, too. So I, I agree. Andre. Uh, yeah. Savage, too. Yeah. Yeah. The Undertaker. Uh, Undertaker is not. He's with wrestling fans, for sure. Um, I think that there's a, like, with, like, people, like, of a certain age, there's a definitely a definite awareness of um like who the undertaker is i'm sorry jesse what were you saying i think there's just an awareness like people even non-wrestling fans like oh yeah the undertaker like if they have any if they have any familiarity with wrestling at all yeah it's interesting because taker was never like the main guy you know goldberg he was never as big as goldberg as, as goldberg was in in 98 right uh but longevity-wise, it's insane. I mean, he's probably arguably the biggest uh, ratings mover when he shows up right now. His character's so memorable, though. Oh, like yeah. that's part of the thing is that, like, oh yeah, he's the under, he's the dead man. Like, yeah, he wasn't as big of a draw as Goldberg was in his prime. But right, there's but the something... greatest creation, not, and I wouldn't consider a lot of people like Hogan's not a to me. No, he, he's an AWA. That's where he was. That's where it was. The foundation was laid. But to me, Undertaker, even Brett. I don't know if Brett's ah, Brett's pretty homegrown, I suppose, but I think Taker is the most 
iconic greatest WWE creation. I don't yeah. think it's anybody better. The Rock. It's, well, it's as far as creating a gimmick. Because the Rock's not really a gimmick, he no, but he's a he's a very much like a like obviously you could say his, his success as a movie star is 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 relatively home like not ha, doesn't have that much to do with WWE now, but like the Rock like as far as like being someone who was signed very early to a WWE contract and was given a, yeah, a tryout yeah. very early. I guess longevity would be the difference there, right? Because because Taker nobody can compete with. I mean that's like three decades. It was what Survivor Series ninety. Yeah, Rock, Rock's a good uh, Rock also a Survivor Series debut. Um, yeah. Taker's debut was. Was in Hartford, right? That was yeah. the 90s story series in Hartford. So, yeah, I, I guess uh, I just mean like where you're taking something out of nothing and creating a character. Like, you know, when you see The Rock, like the name, it was either Vince Russo or Jim Ross. They'll debate who came up with it. But where Vince came up with something, and I guess even Undertaker was not his idea. Undertaker was uh, apparently Bruce Pritchard's idea. And, you know, Vince took it to a whole nother level. But, um, we, yeah. I don't want. I will not give away any spoilers, but uh, we got an advanced screener of the Last Ride, the Taker documentary that airs on Sunday, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll write a little review tomorrow, uh, free of spoilers because I don't want to ruin anything. But it was it's fifty five minutes of of must see like Taker television. It's really really good. Uh, it reminded me a lot of the Jordan documentary in the sense that like you know Jordan's approving this stuff, right? It's it's not necessarily true documentary, but it's still very very riveting. Uh, rich, rich content. And that's what I, I took out of Taker as well. Yeah, I'm happy to see him like the last year or so, like has been more open as far as doing out of character interviews. He did the Stone Cold um, show on, on, and that was really interesting. I mean, the guy's been part of so much of wrestling history. He's been with the company for 30 years. There's so much he he's seen and you don't really hear, you know, anything. Like I would kill him. How much of that was Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia to me changes everything because like that could have ruined, and, and Raj just mentioned Goldberg too, being a legit star. That night could have ruined them both. Like it came, I mean, not even physically. Like physically, it was ugly, right? But that match was like, these two are old. They're washed up. They're, they're, and they've done a good job of restoring both of their images. But right. that was a bad night. I wonder if that was when Taker was like, hey, we got to change the, we got to change the method here because it's not I all in rest stuff anymore. Well, he yeah. wanted to have like a good performance and we talk about like oh matches you know character work and, and storylines are the most important thing which they are but you do have to have at this especially at this point like some form of presentable match the goldberg undertaker match wasn't really presentable and it kind of undid a lot of the stuff that they were trying to go for with that match and then so i like the story i believe or what i've heard is that the undertaker really wanted to have a good match and kurt angle said oh you should work with aj styles he'll do good stuff for you and um Obviously, you know, doing the the, the pre taped match and the the boneyard kind of style match helped them out a lot. But oh, and you know, with Undertaker and Goldberg, if you you saw what they were trying to do, if they didn't mess up those moves with, after Goldberg had the con, you know had the concussion early in the match, who knows? If Goldberg didn't have that concussion, it would have been a different match, and it, it, it I think it would have been ended up being pretty good. But yeah, the, fact the Saudi Arabia you know, crowd is also. The Saudi yeah, Arabia, like Joe, like if you can, you can do that match in, 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 in almost any other market and like the fans will just carry it because they like the guys and they'll react to the big move so much when you're doing it in the Saudi Arabia shows, it's a, not to say that I know there are passionate fans there, so I'm not like knocking that, but it's just a very different kind of tone for the show. And it's probably not the most conducive to, um, a match of like that, that kind of work. But anyway, um, it was a perfect storm of like, of things that if they, like Rob said, it, it probably was going to be okay. 
but unless everything goes wrong and everything went wrong. Right. But they, they've made it both those guys now, like they've totally recovered. Goldberg is you forget 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 about that moment. Uh Taker for sure you forget about you think of you think of the mania moment for sure. Right. Uh so this was uh this was the last Saturday. Oh no, there was one more Saturday night's main event before WrestleMania yep. three. Savage versus St- uh, George Steele again on the next one. So Herc- uh, battle royal that had Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, we'll see how this well, one does. Andre's love to do more of these. Rush. I don't want to give anything away, but Andre when he eliminates Hogan, he oh yeah, he just yeah, it's and <laughs> like throwing out the tra- trash or something like that. Right. It's a really great Andre moment. Yeah. Yeah, he, Andre was such a an amazing heel back then. I remember he scared the crap out of me as a kid. And it was it was the voice. It was yeah, every, everything. Every move, everything. Yeah, it's it's hard to. It wasn't just the size. It was yeah. those awful shirts he would wear. I was disappointed last yeah. time Dynamite because Jake Hager was in like a nice. Did he have a jacket on? But he had like a nice shirt and pants on. Yeah. For the first couple of months in AEW, he was wearing those like ugly Andre shirts. Which is not fair. I'm sure right. they're nice shirts, but like they're weird. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Andre always had these well, weird that was, clothes. Wasn't that fashion in the '80s? No, Andre. <laughs> for a big guy, Jesse. For a big guy, where the hell do you, you're Andre the Giant? Where do you shop? Right. right? I was. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, Justin. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was walking around my neighborhood and I was thinking, like, Andre wore like a lot of weird outfits. I wonder where he got them because it can't be easy for him to get clothes. He must have got them customized. And I was really thinking. I forget why I was thinking about the that. I was thinking, the patches you're right. on the elbow. See, Andre, yeah. have you read the book yet? The Pat Lebard book, incredible. Uh, the parts, I, that, I, yeah, it's on my queue. But all right, so I, I won't ruin anything. But like to me, like the the his stretch in in the United Kingdom, like wow, awesome. I think his, they they cover the WWF stuff well too, but I feel like his childhood and early years. The photos uh, of young Andre are like amazing. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about that battle royal game tough break. <laughs> yeah, Andre busted up Lenny Papa with that punch he hit him in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If I, hope, I, Ricky, I hope do you remember that uh, that angle where Andre was choking Hacksaw Duggan with his his strap and and he just kept headbutting Hacksaw and Hacksaw's bleeding? I remember being terrified as a kid. I'm like, he's gonna kill him. And then Hacksaw knocked him out. And when Hacksaw was celebrating, I'm like, get out of there, you idiot! Run and leave the country. Andre, he was a different level of heel. That 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 uh, battle royal too. Somebody I don't remember who it was. Was it Coco? Somebody jumps in. It's like it's the big Hogan Andre moment in that battle royal. And somebody that had no business getting in the middle of them gets in the middle of them. I feel like it was Coco Beware, but I'd have to go back and rewatch. I don't know if anybody can. Yeah, he's, in hurri- he's in the Hurricane Helm spot. It just, right. just inter- like it's like we're Jesse. We're all waiting for Hogan Andre. Everybody, and, and here comes the Birdman. Like, come on, but um, <laughs> yeah, great memories. So- yeah, so uh, putting a bow on this, uh, what match of, of these uh, stood out the most to you? I think it's the opening match, to be honest. Even though, like, it's it, you could argue that like the, the, the Piper Adonis match is like a better worked match, but the, there's so much fire in the in the crowd is so into it, and it's so much clearly the main event. And I'm I kind of like the old blue steel cage. I don't think it was as fun to work in um, as some other incarnations of it, but I think that's my favorite match. For me, it was Savage, and I, I, I'm sure, like Raj said to start the show, they probably filmed this out of order. They probably filmed Hogan and Mr. Wonderful last, but I love the fact that even unbeknownst to him, or maybe they knew how it would air, I don't know, but I love that Savage is so intense that coming in after a major match, uh, a cage match on television, like I still can't take my eyes off Randy Savage 
He was so intense. He was so good. Somebody mentioned in the comments how he didn't have to turn babyface. The crowd, the crowd forced him to like, but he never changed his intensity. When Randy Savage was on screen, uh, you couldn't look help but look. You couldn't help but look his way. He was just mm-hmm. so good for me. It was that Savage match. I love the cage match too, though. Uh, so, so many stars on this card. Yeah, that cage match. That that ending, I'll never forget it. Uh, that was an iconic yeah. ending. With I mean, you know, the the middle before the end where uh, mm-hmm. they both hit at the same time. Um, yeah, but I, you know, Savage, uh, he's, you know, in my opinion, the one of the greatest of all time Who of combining is... ability and character and promo Speaking ability. Speaking of Savage, yeah. if you were to take one of these guys and put them in 2020 WWE, who would you pick? Good question. Cause Piper would thrive too. That's a tough one. Yeah. Cause I, uh, Hogan's promos, they don't, uh, they don't age well. Like, I don't think he could do those promos today and. Get away it was with them. they're different. I think I actually think Hogan was so good at like these 15 second to 30 second, just like bullet point style, like talk about my opponent, get my catchphrases in, like do all that kind of stuff like that. And it really worked. But like, do you think you could script Piper the way they script the guys now? Good question. Again, maybe Jesse if it wasn't in like, WWE. Jesse would make this fun. Jesse would make raw fun, but could he be Jesse? I mean, right. I don't know. That's you know a- Howard Finkel. They he couldn't. They they don't even have anything close to that. So right. it's it's tough to say in a scripted environment if you know Savage is having to do all these promos off a of script, and they'd, they'd probably tell him, "Hey, stop doing the voice," or you know, like uh, you tone the clothes down. I don't know if if it, you know maybe I don't know. I don't I don't see. So I don't see them. So uh, the fact that Raj hasn't watched Goonies. This was supposed to be a Goonies watch along, and Raj is like, "We're not doing that. We're watching Saturday Night's main event." So the I next one, hope, I hope that if I get asked back, I'd love to do a Sid watch along. Absolutely, <laughs> you know, I I'm a Sid guy too, so I'm with you, Raj. Yeah, absolutely, Sid was awesome. Yeah, well, I was thinking the master like, and ruler. Unfo- yeah. Like when I was thinking about like what's aged the best on this show, and we didn't talk about him uh, that much, but like Mean Gene. And the way that they did the interviews back then, they did a ton of them, Mean Jeans, all over the show. And he does such a good job selling what the guys are doing. Like, we talked about the Savage promo. And obviously, Savage is a star in the promo. But he's kind of unhinged. And when he leaves, Oakland steps in and is like, clearly, the actions of George the Animal Steel are affecting Randy Savage. And he kind of sells the story to the audience. Right. Which plays off of Savage's reaction. And, like, just... I don't. I don't want to knock any like the WWE interviewers now because I'm sure it's they're not, doing what they're told. It's not really their fault, but you don't have that kind of obvious professionalism and the delivery and the ability to to sell what these guys are doing. They usually just ask questions and then the people say whatever their scripted promo is and they get out. I just I miss that and I feel like Oakland. Like if you could have that kind of presence on the show, it would help these guys personality wise so much. Absolutely, and. It, to your point they used to play off of each other now it's you say your line you say your line and the backstage and then they walk off and the backstage interview viewer just gives a, an odd daze you know like either smiling or confused and it's always uh the same but being it may have been gene's last interview uh with the company before he passed unfortunately with aj styles at raw 25 and even that like gene's interviews had energy like yeah. i think aj did the you know something mean, Gene, didn't he? he kind of a playback to Hulk. Um, but yeah, you're, Gene's another guy too. I mean, yeah. but again, could they be themselves? Could they be those versions of themselves in 2020? 
I don't know. Yeah, you know, you're talking about aging well. I think if you show today's fans the backstage stuff with Gene and if if you had them listen to Howard Finkel and then you had them listen to Vince and Jesse on commentary, I would think that most people would prefer that to what we're getting today. I agree. I I love love Oakland. There's so many stories about him, like, pulling good interviews. Like, if a guy was a bad promo... Oakland would like work with the guy and almost like do the promo for them. And so like he made so many people look good that weren't good, especially if you go back and watch like some of the AWA interviews, he, that was really like a special skill. And I don't know if we'll see someone like that. The closest I think I've seen in like recent years is like Jeremy Borash when he was doing the backstage stuff for TNA had kind of a similar vibe to him, but nowadays you just don't see it. Yeah. Can we touch on Justin Toner's comment? Yeah, absolutely. Because I remember the first time I saw my brother and I saw that, we must have rewound that videotape like <laughs> 45 straight until our mother was like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. but it was like the the craziest. I remember one F-bomb. It was like the biggest deal. And Jesse kind of knocks him after, I believe. I think it's like Jesse Shivani on the call. And yeah. Jesse's like, that's that's the Gene Okerlund that I know and, and, and rips yeah. into him yeah. just enough to tease him. But, oh, it was it was so good. Yeah, so Justin Toner pointing that his favorite was the F-bomb at SummerSlam 89 when the f- sign falls down before he talks to Rick Rude and Bobby Keenan. So actually, that was, they retaped that and they played the wrong tape during the show. So they were supposed to play the correct one and they accidentally played the wrong one. And then Jesse still, it wasn't like he didn't act like it didn't happen. He uh, he reacted to it, but that was great. And also, uh, yeah, put that cigarette right out from Royal Rumble 92. You could, you could argue that's the most, uh, maybe a tear in my eye is the most iconic line in that. But right behind it is you put that cigarette out. Uh, members of the press around our esteemed members of the press around him. That was yeah, yeah. Well, Oakland Very was good. famous. He also had like a pretty big ego, and he did, he kind of rubbed some not, not not everyone, but he rubbed some guys the wrong way because he knew how to do his job better than everyone else, and he knew that. And it sometimes Oakland, uh, Oakland, yeah. Like, and it wasn't, and unfortunately, like you know, Vince thought he was old and didn't want to have him, you know, do the interviews anymore, which let him go to WCW, which like a lot of the WCW stars was a mistake because he still had plenty of life left in him. Um, I remember, but I, in WCW, he, he did the famous interview with Hogan in the, you know, after the heel turn, he said, you know, yeah, you can yeah. go to hell. And to see Gene Oakland, who was so professional um, to have him do that, it really, I mean, I say that like I was like watching the event live. I wasn't obviously, but even in hindsight, I, it comes I across. Did. No, but like you're right. Like it comes across like, oh my God, like G- even Gene's like just like so fed up with this. See, that, I'd be curious if I get excruciated for this point of view, but I'm not saying he's better because he's not. Gene Oakland's the best of all time in that role. But I think at the time, like if you look at the King of the Ring when Brett wins and there's that great backstage interview with Brett and, and Perfect. And Gene kind of plays this, pulls the strings and mm-hmm. does a great job. But uh, Todd Pettengill during the the new era, the 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 new you know, um, the, what was it called? The new the, the, the new uh, the new generation was the, I think the better fit then. He was never better than Gene. I'm not saying that. I just think he was the better fit for the product they were trying to sell. And Gene fits so perfectly. Like he had so you could argue Gene has he doesn't have as many great moments, but man, he's got a lot of great moments with flair mm. with. Hogan in, in a bunch of sting in WCW, Savage. the NWO. Well, this this show, I mean, like I said, we didn't really talk about Oakland that much when the show was going on. But if you, when we watched the show, when I watched the show the first time, like Oakland's, he's basically on 
after every single match he's yeah. and he's you know he's bringing all these guys in and he's helping set up the angles and it was such a key role to getting over all of these various personalities and it, it was really something that to me has aged the best as far as um you know being able to pull those personalities out and that's why part of the reason we think of like the 80s like oh man there's so many characters so many personalities is because they were put in a format that were that was like this yeah yeah iconic he was, he was uh he was the best at what he did you know, right. for sure. Raj, we say that about Howard Finkel. Mm-hmm. The time there was no—I mean, people say, "Oh, Dusty could have been." I don't think anybody was better for that stretch of time than Hulk. Like just one after another, they were all perfect. Jesse, like they were all—that mm-hmm. was like a championship team where everybody's performing at the highest level. That era of wrestling is just so special. Yeah. Uh, tonight's show was, I think, a pretty good example of that. Yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. I, I got to admit, some sometimes these empty arena shows take their toll. But that was fun. I really enjoyed Gosh, it. Wouldn't you want to hear from the New Day, though? Like the New Day broadcasting, one of these Saturday nights. Like they could do so many fun things on Raw. Maybe not SmackDown, but Raw with three hours. You get so much time to have fun. Dude, do you have Steve Austin and Bret Hart, uh, you know, uh, call their, their match and do a, them do a watch along? So That's Bret an Hart, hour of, of with commercials and everything. That's Bret an Hart, hour of Raw. Bret Hart was on the hall. Yeah, Bret Hart was on like the Broken Skull session and they they just kind of went over the highlights. Yeah. They didn't show the whole match, but they went over the highlights of the um the famous match at WrestleMania 13, the uh, I quit match. And it's so good. They're yeah. talking about these little things. Bret Hart's like, yeah, when I give him the low or oh, I think it's Austin's like when I give him the low blow here, right? You know, I'm giving him a real low blow, not one of those Ric Flair like forearm shots. And it's right. like, and here we're gonna do this part. This is when we this is when, you know that we blade and they, they don't notice cause it's done so well. And this is why I'm doing the elbow drop like this. And this is why the cover is like this. And it's so good. I recommend it to anyone who's watching. And, it. and if you add in backstage footage that hasn't been seen, mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. promos before the match, maybe them screwing up the promos, things like that. I think that would keep an audience uh, at least I'm not try necessarily it. The, the, you know, look at the rating to tell you if it's good or bad. The ratings are, are, do mean something obviously, mm-hmm. but I'd be really curious if they had watch alongs with stars involved to me, that would draw in viewers that, that wouldn't normally be watching, I would think. I and think it'd get old right, Yeah, if you yeah. did it right, too, you could do it without knocking that product or the current product. I think there's a way to kind of make uh, all masters happy there. There's, and they have that's something AEW can't do. They have the best tape library in the world, right? Like, And you see with – like I watch NBA TV almost every night just because they're showing so many hardwood classics, like the old games from the 80s, and it's so good. They're highlighting, and it makes you miss the NBA now more. So it's it's funny WWE hasn't tapped into that. We even have current stars broadcast those matches, and I think it'd be cool. Yeah, it's strange they're not doing more. Or, or again, it's it's the lack of creativity. Well, and, and I feel like you could get fans back with that because I'm watching The Last Dance, and I'm not even a basketball fan. And now I'm like, I want to start watching basketball. Like, uh, well, I watched the '98 All Star Game last night. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. The um the big thing with they did do like older matches like um or not not even older matches but they were like a few weeks you know maybe like a month ago when this whole thing first started they showed like the royal rumble and they showed like last year's wrestlemania but i always thought that was kind of strange because they were showing like stuff like that people obviously remember and saw within the past year and they didn't just show like hey here's the main event of SummerSlam 98 it's steve austin versus the undertaker at madison square garden and maybe there's a reason why they don't want to do that but to me that's what would get more people watching would be that as opposed to showing a match like the whole royal rumble that people watched like a few weeks ago and some of those things jesse were uh just just political like i I wrote about this before there was a day before mania kind of wrote a behind the scenes of the you know oddest wrestlemania 
not the Rumble one. I think that was to highlight Drew. But like the mania stuff, you remember they it was like the uh the Brody Lee week where he was on he was on AEW, he was on Fox, and then he was on ESPN. Um, which is just weird they spoke, right? He was on three different shows. Um, but so there WWE was airing the encore presentations of Mania on ESPN, which really upset some people at Fox. And that's why you saw as kind of a Fox kind of digging their heels in a little bit, you'd see a match that was about to air that Sunday on ESPN for like Cena Bray aired on SmackDown. Then two nights later it aired, that's the uh, Brody Lim aired again on, on, on ESPN the next day, uh, the two days later. So to me, that was, it didn't make any sense. It was more political behind the scenes stuff. To me, that doesn't make for good television. I wish they'd tap into the old stuff and they're trying to sell the network, right? If you're showing me all this cool stuff, I think I'm more likely to subscribe. So I, I don't know. I, I do don't have a question though, and I, and I agree with you guys 100. percent But do you think if you show, like, I bet you, if you played a, an episode from 1998, 1998 of Raw, uh, you know, instead of one of these empty arena shows, I, I almost think it might do a better rating. But does it make does it make the current product look uncool by by doing? That's the that? catch. Yeah. How do yeah, you I, how do you do it with making the current with making the current product shine? That's the catch. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And actually, I think Brian Alvarez brought this up earlier this week saying, like, I think it was when they were doing the the Triple H, like, anniversary stuff. And he was saying, like, they're cutting into the stuff and, the, the, you know, the crowd is going crazy for DX and all this kind of stuff. And then he cut back to the Performance Center. And unfortunately, the you know, whether true or untrue, and the answer is true, but, like, the fans, fans right now already think that the guys in the Attitude Era are already much bigger, better stars than the people that they have currently. And when you kind of throw those side by side, and right now it's not the guy's fault because of, you know, they have to do these empty arena shows. But it is an interesting idea that, it, it you know, yeah. going back and like, oh, man, remember that when wrestling was great? Now we've got this, you know, that kind of right. thing. You'd have to be strategic. Like to me, Alistair Black is a guy that could work post, uh, say you ran Austin, Ho- uh, Austin Hart, uh, WrestleMania 13, which... I think Sid was in the main event, but um, yeah, Sid Undertaker was the main event. <laughs> Let's say you had that match, and that's you know, you say you put it in like the middle of Raw to keep the audience, and then you put or whenever you put it on, who cares? You put Aleister Black in after, like I or AJ who just came back this week. I feel like if you if you pick the stars correctly on Raw and you had the right guys after, maybe you, there's a lot of people you wouldn't want to use in that role, but I feel like you'd, you'd really have to hand pick your stars. Um, like I wouldn't want a long Seth Rollins promo after that match, but maybe like an Alistair, Alistair Black squash match or, or something fun, something that makes me say, oh, I want to watch more of this. Because that would be, I, I think it all goes back to you'd have more viewers. How do you keep those viewers um, with the current product? If you believe in your product, it's funny too. We all let, read and listened to Vince's um, conference call for the, you know, with this board call. Right. He's so charming with his investors. It's like, I'd love to see more of this. On, we're watching every week. I don't know if the investors watch Raw every Monday. We do. People people commenting here watch Raw every week. So, uh, so many times though, I feel like we're treated like longtime smokers, right? We're gonna we're always gonna buy more another pack with wrestling. We're always gonna watch, so they give us what they give us. But I well, they've said that, Justin. They've it. said that, like Triple H and Vince have said that. Um, you know, like, oh, like, we see people complaining online, but you know what? Those people are always going to watch. And I don't know how you can look at, you know, where raw viewership was five years ago and where it is today and say, oh, well, these people are always going to watch because the fact is they're not. Well, look where like it is a month ago. Watch. I mean, and, 
No, you take yeah, it for so. granted. Your time's not valuable. Well, your time's not valuable, but that's beside the point. I, I don't feel like that's a winning strategy. You should always value your cons- no. consumers. Well, and, 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 and adapt. You're doing these empty arena shows. Change it up. I was saying, do a lot more realistic backstage, like the documentary stuff. Mm-hmm. But you could keep it scripted, but you have Vince and Triple H clashing about who should be on the show and the wrestlers arriving and having natural dialogue, but not being happy with who they're booked with. And, you know, just things like that. And then you lead to a few matches here and there and you have those builds and try, you know, just try different things. And that's that's one thing that's that's been hurting me uh, watching the show is they're trying to do the same show, but with no fans. And it's just tough. Could you try to incorporate a piece of hard knocks from HBO, like player profiles? I know it was goofy, but it's been on my mind because of Dark Side. Dino Bravo in his weightlifting competition with the Warrior. That was silly and cartoonish, right? But could you do like a, a workout or a lift a lift off between a couple of the guys or women? I mean, like, hey, maybe maybe Rhea Ripley can lift just as much as Seth Rollins or or somebody, right? Like you could see, oh, this is in yeah. Well, what if the would, wrong person won? Better television. You script, me, you can I mean, script it. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, true. you have to script it. Like they used to. What was that? There was that famous thing, like. Um, it was when Mark Henry was feuding with Ryback and they were both like going to have like a bench press contest. And it's like, I don't know, it's, it's whatever weight WWE said it was, let's say it's 350 pounds. And Mark Henry does like 25 reps of it. And then like Ryback comes out and he does like 25 reps. Like he's repping like 15 pounds. Like he's just, he's totally going to break it. And then like Mark Henry like comes in and attacks him. Yeah. Something like that. Which is kind of the same thing with warrior Dino. It was very similar. Yeah, didn't they do that angle with? Uh, I know they did it in UWF, well, but the Earthquake. Yeah, it was Warrior and Dino. Yeah, yeah. The or, Earthquake uh, debut was like right the push-up like, contest. Yeah, like I forget who it was. Ultimate Warrior was it Dino Bravo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like Warrior they said Dino. that like um, they're gonna get a fan. It's a great angle. I, I wrote about it a few years ago, but like they said we're gonna get a fan out of the stands, the biggest fan we can find, and like. I think and all Har- the fans are pointing. I they weren't even Harvey plants. Whippleman. Is it Harvey? I think it's Harvey Whippleman, but maybe not. Who's like in- Jimmy Hart, wasn't it? Oh, Jimmy Hart. It's Jimmy Hart. And Hart like does like a real convincing job. Like he's actually looking for like the biggest fan. Right. And people notice like, hey, there's this big guy right here. And he's like, that guy. And it comes across. It feels like legitimate. And then, of course, he does the this. He does like a push up with um, Warriors going to do a push up on him. And he attacks him. And everyone's like, oh, my God, this fan attacked him. And then it ends up being Earthquake. But that's a it's a great debut angle. And yeah, I mean, you could do that kind of stuff. You couldn't do that angle because there's no fans. I'd like to to see them do more stuff backstage because that in ring is depressing to me seeing it, you know. And I feel like I agree. It doesn't work. Uh, I don't enjoy it. But if the less in ring stuff you did, the more you like the one thing they've done really well on SmackDown is Jeff Hardy. I want to see Jeff Hardy wrestle. That's one guy I want to because the because the videos have been so good um, and so real and so not what they do now. but I agree. Like to me, two matches, depending on what you show backstage, you could get away with very limited stuff in ring. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you guys. This was really fun. I had a, this was uh, this was exactly what I wanted it to be. Just uh, sh- shooting the. Is this your the... favorite era of wrestling, Raj? Me? This is like your favorite. Like if you can go yeah. back and watch stuff, this is your favorite era. Yeah, yeah, eighty-seven to ninety for sure. And then after that, it would be. Uh, 96 to 99. What about you, Justin? I agree. Uh, Cause right up to WrestleMania eight, it's just so star studded. Mm-hmm. I know Jesse mentioned the WrestleMania eight card wasn't great, but I, as a kid, I was so caught up in the stars. Oh, the right? card is good. The card is good. Yeah. The show isn't. Right. Right, right. I, I like uh, the show yeah. as a kid. I remember. Uh, oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. 
Well, the highlights stick out because it was, you know, like Brett Roddy. I love that. I right. loved Brett as a kid. Um, but, um, and I remember that I remember liking Gene, Gene Oakland too. That, that was a great backstage interview with Gene, Brett, and Roddy too, one of their best. Um, and Brett was kind of a guy that wasn't a promo guy, and that was a great, great interview. Uh, but yeah, I agree. Uh, kind of the end of the golden era and then the, the attitude era. Um, yeah. So I think a very underrated era, you know, kind of like when Punk and Brian got hot, it was so much fun. Um, and it wasn't, it was like they couldn't control it. They didn't necessarily plan for, for those two guys to be their stars. What was it? The Rumble match? It was uh, Cena Orton at the Rumble and the crowd. Won- and we'd seen too much of it at that point. But um, yeah, the, yeah. Some, some recent stuff too. But yeah, I guess those would be my two, three favorite eras. What about you, Jess? Me? Yeah. Uh, I don't, I can't really answer the question because I didn't, unfortunately, I don't really have memories from childhood of like great periods in, in WWE wrestling. Raj and I are so old. No, because <laughs> I'm so young. I understand this. Like okay. I would say like 2000, like I started probably watching WWE seriously. Like when I was in like 2005, when I was 10 or 11. And so like, I have like WrestleMania 21. I, I had the DVD as a kid. I watched it a million times. I could tell you everything that happened on that show and all the angles and like the, you know, Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle match and the, uh, Randy Orton Undertaker match and Cena versus JBL and all that kind of stuff like that. But when it comes to go- going back and watching stuff, I, I, I mean, I'm, I really love wrestling history. So I'm always, I, I like watching stuff from the seventies. I like watching stuff, um, you know, from the nineties, from other companies. Like I watch a lot of all Japan in the nineties. I watch a lot of new Japan from the nineties. Um, I, when I, when it comes to WWF, I really like the Bret Hart stuff. I think he's the, my like favorite, like, like, wrestler from like pre 2000 probably my favorite wwe wrestler ever to be honest like as far as like there's something about his matches and the kind of care and time he takes into the storytelling that he, like and this isn't a knock on Shawn michaels but i just don't see that as much in prime Shawn michaels matches in the like when Shawn came back after 2002 you do see that and i love watching those matches too but there's something about like the like the wrestlemania 13 match and the match against austin at survivor series 96 that are just like they're so well done they're so perfect uh, so i would say as far as when it comes to wwf i would say like that era but mainly because of brett because i know there wasn't a ton of other good stuff happening and, and you're getting me so worked up just thinking about it you mentioned brett right like his good stuff like the hall of fame isn't happening or it will but like the people like the bulldog was getting inducted mm-hmm. Why can't we see a Bulldogs Hard Foundation match on Raw? And yeah. you could have show the SummerSlam '92 match. That, show, that match not? is great. Have the tag team guys commentate the tag team match if you want. If you do the IC title match, I mean that'd be awesome to have Sammy on commentary for that and Daniel Bryan. Like, that'd be so cool. Or uh, Batista, you know, he's supposed to be inducted. Have uh, you do uh, Batista and Triple H doing a watch along of his match with Triple H where he won the title, or the NWO where yeah. you know you're inducting them? Show that match with. Hogan, Nash, and Hall on commentary. There's so Summer many Slam times I wouldn't want to watch. Like that's yeah, like, to me, that's the pinnacle of yeah. The, the SummerSlam '92 is interesting because it doesn't because I don't know if Hogan isn't on the show. It's not really like I don't think it's something that like is talked about that much. But you go back and watch it. I think because of the setup of Wembley Stadium, it's still like the most visually impressive crowd. I've ever seen in wrestling. It's such a massive sea of people because the way the layout is, it's different than like you know when they have it at like some like the modern like NFL stadiums. I don't know. And like that match is, it's such a great main event. It's like the, you know, the intercontinental title in the main event, which is, which is great for that. And they do such a good match. The finish is so clever. I, I mean, I, I would definitely be down to, to watch that. I would. Yeah. And it makes sense. You're inducting the bulldog in the hall. Like, it, it, you'd be like, why are you th- throwing this on? Though I wish they'd throw, show, show older. Like they should show Bruno stuff. 
I know Vincent Bruno didn't have the great relationship, a great relationship, but like he's a star. Like, yeah. The only thing I'll say about that is that that stuff, the wrestling style doesn't hasn't aged that well. And the but video, you have to show like an eight minute man, yeah, it clips. You can, you but you can show like Bruno wrestling Randy Savage, like when Bruno was there in, in the yeah. late eighties. And well, it like still you looks can show uh, the Larry Zabisco Bruno San Martino feud. You can sh- those promos, Bruno's promos, like in nineteen eighty, are so good. And so you could show that kind of stuff, and that would be interesting because I think most people know, like at this point, especially with the Hall of Fame, like, oh yeah, Bruno San Martino, he was a really big star, but they probably haven't watched that many Bruno San Martino matches. Matches, yeah. Another one I, is I could probably count on my, one hand how many full Bruno matches I've watched. Yeah, um, not many. Yeah, I agree. It's a great. I, I, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but it's it's a really quick moment in the Undertaker documentary. It's backstage at the Hall of Fame. It's Bruno and Taker, and they just, you know, it's a quick handshake. Oh, Maybe my favorite moment of that whole thing was like Bruno shaking hands with with Taker. Like, how cool is that? So yeah, it's like when Bill, it's like when Bill Russell comes out and gives out the uh, yes. Finals MVP award. It's like, oh my god, it's Bill Russell. And then, uh, and then like, and then it's like the same thing. It's like he's just like at that point, he's just so legendary that you can't even believe that he's there. Iconic, right? Yeah, I agree. All right, guys. Well, let's do this. Uh, let's do this again. Hopefully next week. Or, uh, uh, or very soon, but yeah, uh, no, you know, we'll see the feedback. Uh, guys, send us your feedback. Uh, tweet us, DM us. Um, we'll see how the podcast podcast numbers do as well. And love to keep doing this because this was a lot of fun. If you took time to listen to, thank you very much. We had we had a blast. I I know we hope you enjoyed listening to. And Justin, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Sure. Tomorrow uh, we'll have um, Friday. We'll be. Uh, we'll have kind of. I'll, I'll give some takeaways from the the last ride documentary. No spoilers, so it won't ruin anybody's vi- uh, viewing experience. Also, a feature with Alistair Black, which goes into his background a little bit more. Uh, the connection between Tommy End and how he became Alistair Black in WWE. A little bit of his history with his parents. Uh, Saturday, we'll run a story with Kofi Kingston about his favorite ladder matches. And I want to kind of hear about. Uh, if you ever have any questions that you want me to ask, feel free to tweet me too. But I want to hear what Kofi has to say about um, some of the other iconic ladder matches as well. So that'll be this weekend. And then uh, I'm looking forward to covering Money in the Bank on Sunday. And and we'll see. I, I hope there's a chance to show some. We've been talking the last, what, half hour, 40 minutes about creativity. I really hope we see some at Money in the Bank. Absolutely. And Jesse, uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Oh, I got an article coming out tomorrow. It's kind of addressing the Mount Rushmore question that has been kind of making the rounds on social media, the Mount Rushmore of, of WWE wrestlers. And there was, I think Jim Ross said that John Cena was on it. So of course everyone got mad. So uh, I do kind of like a breakdown of, of who is on the Mount Rushmore is John Cena, you know, on that. We'll see. Um, I try to be as objective as possible looking at who drew, who was drawing as long, you know, how long did they draw for what was the business like when they were around? So trying to see like if John Cena, is he really one of the big four biggest names or is he nowhere close or, or and if not, who is? Absolutely. Well, uh, and that'll be on wrestlinginc.com and keep checking mm-hmm. out wrestlinginc.com. Check out sports illustrated, uh, their wrestling section, Justin Brasso. He does just an amazing job. And, uh, thanks I hope everyone. Jesse has, I hope Jesse has Sid. Yeah, it's actually just Sid like in four four different times. He takes the like, yeah, it's just Sid, different. Sid, it's Sid, Sid Vicious, Sid Justice, Psycho Sid, and just Sid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sid, right? Right. Just the Lord Sid's Humongous. Up. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say this. I'm not I'm not saying this because he's on the podcast. 
out of everyone in the main, like working for a mainstream media publication, I think Justin does the best job covering pro wrestling from an objective point of view. There's a, a huge surge in it, but I think Justin with Sports Illustrated is a, he's he's doing a tremendous job Absolutely. talking about wrestling and it's such Thank a big you. platform. Yeah, okay, you're not saying we're mainstream. So much- what are you what are you trying to say? Wrestling is not mainstream. <laughs> Well, wrestling, I respect what you guys do because occasionally, now Raj and I, uh, we're, we're wrapping up and I keep bringing us back in, but like Raj and I had a discussion, I don't remember when, it wasn't in person, it was over the phone, so I could probably figure out when it was, but um, every now and again, I'll break and do, you know, an NBA, I've done some stuff for the Jordan documentary, but like, I love that Wrestling Inc., to me, it's such a competitive site, or the wrestling sites in general, because like, it's all wrestling. Like I love, I feed off that. Like I love the fact that like if Jesse's story, you want to click on that where there's like 11 other cool things on wrestling Inc. or, or whatever site, right. Um, Wrestle zone or Lord's of pain, whatever. I like that. Or you go to the uh, observer site or whatever it is. I like that, like that competitive feel amongst writers. And if you want to write something, it's got to be good to, to meet that standards. But, but thank you very much for the kind comment too. I, I love covering pro wrestling. I hope people enjoy reading it. And, uh, I, I, I hope we have fun Sunday. I mean, Sunday to me is a, a big opportunity because I feel like many um, AEW is going to have a really special show with Double or Nothing. I wonder if WWE can do it. Like, can they be creative again? Or was Vince just kind of being charming to the, to his investors? I think Sunday is a big night. We'll see. Please be creative again. You're, you're killing me right now. <laughs> all right. Well, thank, thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll, we'll catch you all again soon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.